Welcome to this edition of the Mile 27 Podcast. I'm Andy Dubois and with me today I have Ben Duffus and Simon Byrne. How are you boys? Pretty good, thanks Andy. Well good, thank Simon. you very much sir. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Today we've a fascinating topic that I know you two guys are really keen to discuss as well. We're talking about what goes on in our brains, how that affects our motivation, how it affects our ability to push hard, how it affects our ability to race hard, and what we can do in our minds to increase our abilities in all those different facets. First thing I want to discuss though is the motivation to train because we're going to break it down into three topics. First topic is going to be the motivation to train. The second one is going to be how we can use mental techniques when we're training to develop stronger mental techniques and train harder, train with more intensity. And the third one will be how we use our brains to race more effectively. So first one is motivation to train. Now, the motivation to train comes down to two main motivation sources, your extrinsic motivation and your intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is easy. It's we want to race, we want to finish a race, we want to do a certain time, we want to beat somebody. It's feeding the ego, essentially. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But more interesting is the intrinsic motivation. Now, intrinsic motivation is how we feel when we run, how running makes us feel and what we get out of it without the extra stuff, without knowing that we finished a race or we did a certain time, just the motivation to run itself and what we can use to develop that intrinsic motivation. Now, I know in COVID last year, particularly, and, and to a certain degree this year, a lot of our athletes struggled with motivation to train week in, week out and do the hard sessions because if you're more extrinsically motivated and you take away that extrinsic motivation in terms of races, well, then you're left with intrinsic motivation. And if that's not well-developed, you can struggle. So I thought we'd start today's talk off with just chatting to you guys about what your intrinsic motivations are, and then we can just kind of flow from there and work out how to develop that a little bit more. So Ben, intrinsic motivation for you, why do you run and why do you run as far as you do run? What's that intrinsic motivation that does it for you? Yeah, it's always a hard one that it's it's something I thought about a lot and sort of like, why, why are you doing this, given the amount of hours, the time and effort I put into it? And it's still something I always kind of struggle to articulate. I always think of like the throwaway line of sort of, you know, why climb Everest? Well, because it's there sort of thing. Or, if, you know, there's the cliche response also, if you have to ask the question, then you wouldn't understand the answer. That it is really challenging to sort of, quite articulate because in many ways it doesn't make a lot of rational sense to push yourself quite that hard that why do I find it so satisfying to challenge myself why do I have that need like it makes a like just jumping on the hedonic treadmill and just seeking creature comforts that's very easy to explain why one would want to do that but why one would want to um train hard day in day out is a lot harder to explain to I guess, to someone who hasn't experienced that same desire. But I think a lot of it comes down for me these days to, I love the lifestyle of it in a sense that it gives me that structure to my day. It gives me that satisfaction that first thing in the morning I do is I go train. And even if it's not a great session, you know, okay, I'm sure there's some neurochemical sort of, you know, answer that, you know, there's some endorphins and that going on and just don't want to do hard drugs, but go for a run instead. <laughs> but then there's just that satisfaction that, Hey, I've, 
I've accomplished something really satisfying for the day. And even if it's, yeah, not your best session, you still, you know, tick that off your to-do list for the day and feel really satisfied that you just put another brick in the wall working towards something and just that constant sort of drive for self-improvement. But it's sort of always feel a little uncomfortable using that word and that it's like, because it's a fine line, right, between being happy with yourself and who you are now and yet still wanting to strive yeah. to do better, that yeah. having that yeah satisfaction and yet also drive to keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And so, yeah, it comes down to just enjoying that day in, day out process that the, I'd say certainly when I initially started running, like a lot of people, you were very extrinsically motivated that I, I don't think the fact that I did well once I started, you know, started winning races when I started training regularly, I think that definitely fueled why I got into the sport originally. That was very satisfying, but you sort of, that can only go so far as we were yeah. sort of saying before that, you know, you get your first, and I spent a lot of my first few years just injured. Like I think I spent my first three years running Likewise. only a year and a half of it actually running and the other year and a half off. So first you had yeah. to learn how to at least delay gratification that, okay, even if you are really motivated by winning a particular race, you still need to learn how to be like, okay, that particular race is six months, a year away, whatever. And so you have to be able to delay that gratification, but you can only keep doing that sort of so much that there needs to come a point that you do just enjoy that sort of day in day out process. And that again, that extrinsic motivation, it becomes very um, easy to become very outcome focused and that can be really dangerous that particularly if you are coming back from something like an injury, right. That I would then be really disappointed all the time. Oh, I'm not as fit as I was. I'm not as fit as I was. So-and-so is running this time. I'm only running that time. And you just push yourself into another injury and make the whole situation worse. Cause impatience yeah, think- is only ever a shortcut to failure. So you sort of have to, yeah, over time you develop that sense of just like, okay, I'm just got to enjoy the moment and enjoy this run and this experience for what it is. I think having that outcome focus can be a really negative thing sometimes. Like when you're coming back from injury, as you said, like if you're comparing your times to what you used to be able to run, or in my case, and I'm getting older and I'm comparing my times to what I could run when I was 20 or 30, like it's never a good thing. It never gives you much confidence. Like if I run, I was seconds per case, like woohoo, like that's not a good thing. Like it's, it's not positive. It doesn't really feed into a, a good sense of feeling that it was worthwhile to do. But if you can, skip the outcome focus and focus on the internal the intrinsic motivation about I, I felt good for that run i enjoyed that run it may not be as quick as i used to but i enjoyed the run then it's easier to keep backing up week in week out and gradually get fitter and fitter so i think it's where a lot of people kind of fall down with their motivation if they're always looking to to get faster and looking to compare and either with others or with their old selves you know where they could have been or should have been or they're looking looking ahead and going i've got a race i should be doing this now like, again, none of it's particularly helpful. Not to say extrinsic motivation isn't helpful. You need to have it in a certain degree. But I think, Ivan, as you said, getting that intrinsic motivation levels high is what keeps you going week in, week out. Simon, yourself, what is what of your intrinsic motivation to run and continue running? What's What does it for you? I, I'd agree. It has to start with fun. It has to be something that you enjoy. Um, obviously, when you have harder moments, you do look for other things that, drive you to get but when things are good it is it's 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 the sport that I've done since I was a child it's a sport that my family did it's something that's kind of just inbred in me some people swim every morning surf 
mountain bike climb. I suppose people like to have something which is their thing. And I suppose for me, running is my thing. And uh, it's something that I've, I, I was in love with when I was a kid and then sort of did other things as I got into my 20s. And then it's been great to find it and come back to it in a way that's allowed me to fully enjoy a different aspect in the kind of stuff that we're doing now, being sort of trails, mountains, longer distances. That, uh, that enjoyment from a training point of view, sometimes just getting outside. You've got busy lives, got to go, you know, families and work and people have all sorts of stuff going on in their lives. And it's that headspace and that enjoyment to get out. And sometimes it is just being out there for a long time or going and doing, as we were talking about earlier on, finding a hill that I can quite happily go up and down as many times as needs be. People would think that's insane, but I absolutely I love it. It's it, it's a meditative state almost. It's, it is a kind of mindfulness exercise for me. And it doesn't matter whether it's the same hill. I can go up and down because my head switches off and I'm I'm not actually thinking about running a lot of the time. It is a headspace. So as well as the, I'm obviously health, you, 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 you are getting fit. You are getting healthy. You do feel stronger. Times when I've been injured or times where I've had to, I've had rest periods and I've lost a little bit of fitness. It's trying to come back and realizing that you've lost some of that strength is reflecting my everyday life. So sometimes even that little bit of motivation when the alarm goes off in the morning, it's something that I need to do because I know that it, it's good for me. I know that it's not just for my head, but for my body as well. Little niggles start to arise when I, have, when I rest too long. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago, people said, oh, you run too much. So I had, I had not just a, I didn't just downgrade. I kind of stopped running more than five, 10 Ks a week, just did a little bit of running with the kids. It was the worst thing I could have done because coming back, I'd, I'd lost some of the stuff that I took for granted. So it is kind of keeping on top of things as well. And so that's for myself is, is that kind of, I like being in nature, like being outdoors. So as a trail obsessed runner now rather than a road runner or a track runner it gives me that element of seeing nice things simple as that <laughs> running yeah running in nature hearing the birds looking at the trees like it, it's not like i'm all in awe like i'm you know tripping out looking at stuff but it is just sometimes the simplicity of it i, I actually enjoy that as much as anything it's it feels like a natural without being too whatever about it. it's kind of a natural state moving across the ground with just your own self to do it i i love that to be honest yeah yeah i think, I think you touched on a few really good things there so i want to think in its core all three of us really we run because it makes us feel better it makes us feel like we are better versions of ourselves when we run mm. it's, just, it's as simple as that really and when we don't run like you know you and i simon particularly in ben when he's been injured i've had periods of time where we haven't run and none of us feel as good like there's something yeah. missing there's we might feel frustrated or annoyed or just don't have the same spark or the same joy in life that we had when we ran. So I think sometimes people forget that. They kind of get so caught up in training for an event. You kind of lose track of the fact that, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us may have started running for a purpose. It might've been to lose weight. It might've been to, you know, we found a calling for a race. Like I know for me, like I'd run all my life, but when I really stepped it up, it's because I saw the Hawaiian Ironman and that was the, the external motivation was to do that so they got me into you know consistent running all the time but the reason i stayed in it is the same as you because it just made me feel good it just i feel yeah. happier i feel better and i 
feel like I'm a better version of myself when I run regularly. And I know, as you said too, Simon, you know, I've had periods where I haven't run for whatever reason. I just feel shit. Like little niggles <laughs> come back and, and mentally I, I just not, just don't feel as good. So I think, I think we just kind of lose track of that sometimes. And the other thing I find is that people, when they can't run on trails and they have to do some road running for whatever reason, like I know in lockdown, all the people in Melbourne, for example, and quite a few people in Sydney couldn't get trails. So if the motivation was, as you said, being in nature and you can't get to trails, then you've got to simplify it even more and go Mm -hmm. just the joy of putting one foot in front of the other and moving under my own steam and putting in an effort and getting a reward from that, like really simplifying it down and saying, well, this just makes me feel good. I, I know it's going to make me fitter. I know that's good for my health. Like there's so many benefits just from doing laps of the block. I mean, I, when I was in isolation last year, I ran up and down the driveway 15 metres because <laughs> I felt better. Like, was it boring? Oh, it was all right. Like, I didn't mind it too much. Like, could I have done it for like three months? Probably not. But it's still, even when you're confined to running up and down a concrete driveway, the feeling of running is the same. And I think we, we kind of lose yeah. touch of that every now and then. And I think what you touched on also, there with the sense of adventure and that and why, because we're all sort of predominantly trail runners and a good portion of our audience are trail runners that can really relate to that sense of adventure, that being in nature is a big motivator for a lot of, not, not all, but for a lot of um, trail runners, that is a really big portion of why they got into yeah. it. It's the same reason people go hiking and bushwalking but it's like, hey, let's just cover a lot more ground in a shorter period of time, essentially. You know, yeah. why why yes. take all day go to that mountaintop and back if I can do it in a couple of hours and get to do that other one next yeah. to it as well? So yes, that, that can also be a big thing. That <laughs> lockdowns and that particularly work quite hard that for a lot of people that is a big motivator. And if suddenly they were confined to running laps of the block, suddenly that wasn't as much of an adventure. And so... Yeah, but that can once things open up and that that can be a good way for people who are feeling a bit burnt out sometimes is just to have an adventure sort of plan or just a few days of like, okay, this isn't so much about training. This is just about getting out in in the bush for a few hours yeah. for for your headspace as much as anything. And yeah. you're probably yeah. going to get fitter in the process as well for that secondary. Yep, definitely. I think you know, plenty of research shows that being in nature is good for the mind, good for the brain, good for mental health. So I think that's certainly something that um, we're all attracted to. Have you guys had periods where motivation has been low? And if so, what have you done to get yourself out of that? Because that's obviously a fairly common question we get as coaches is, you know, I'm just struggling a bit with motivation. And we usually see it, you know, we see a session skip there, a session skip somewhere else. And before you know it, instead of our athlete doing five sessions a week, they're kind of doing three one week, four the next, two the next. In your experience, guys, when is what's been the problem with motivation? Like when have you gone through a period of low motivation and what's got you back out of that? Ben, you had any, any experiences for that? Uh, per, on a personal level, yes, definitely. There have been times where motivation has waned, but usually I see that as much as it's sort of the canary in the gold mine that other things in life are out of whack that it just means usually that I'm burning the candle at both ends. And so it's a side effect of being really stressed out and you've got a lot else going on. And training is usually the thing that you have the most sort of control over if stuff like work or, you know, study or 
whatever people have going on, family commitments, things like that, that usually is really hard to dial back, at least in the moment that maybe, okay, you can start putting things in place that that will start to dial back a few months from now. But right now, today, it's you can usually skip a run. You can't just take the day off work sort of thing. And so it's usually, yeah, that it's just a feeling of more overwhelmed or undersleeping or underfueling are other big ones that, yeah, it's often for me a sign that something else isn't quite right rather per se than just running by itself. So usually I see it as, okay, this is a sign I've got to start addressing these other things. And sometimes that's not something you can do instantaneously. As I said, that might be something where, okay, I need to start putting things in place that weeks from now can be in a good place. And just accepting that, okay, so that means we need to probably dial back training to what is a sustainable level at the moment. That might just be shorter, easier runs and having to accept that and start putting things in place the rest of life to make sure that, okay, in three months from now or whatever, I can be back training at the level I want to. That quite often, yeah, when I have been sort of feeling, yeah, quite burnt out, it only takes like a week or two sort of, re- it's, it's not a physical thing that a week or two yeah. sort of reset, you sort of, yeah, and you don't feel any better really for taking that day off unless it helps you get on top of other things. And then, yeah, then that will make you feel good. And then suddenly the next day you're like, oh, I feel good because I'm not stressed anymore. Or if the stress sort of just keeps coming on, then yeah, those days off don't really make any difference. Yeah. I think you touched on a really important thing, which is acceptance. And I know for me and any kind of parents of young kids can probably relate is that in the first couple of years of my kids' lives, I just had to accept I couldn't train as much. I just had to accept When was that. your last race, Andy? <laughs> it was just... two years ago now, two and a half years ago, a while ago. Is that the Stampede? No, that was, I did Elephant 25K. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. big 25K run. And then before that was Big Red in 2017. So yep. that's a while ago. But yeah, I just, for me, it was a case of I don't particularly enjoy racing shorter distances. Like I, I did the 25 because I just want to get back into it. But at no stage through that, through the last six years, could I know I've not done a 5K, 10K, or 20K run. I was always fit enough to do those kind of distances. But it doesn't really interest me. Like the effort in entering, driving to a race, to it, like it just, it's not where I'm interested in. So I, I didn't bother. But I just had to accept that with the with the young kids and with the sleep deprivation i had doing the training that i wanted or needed to do to do the races i could do wasn't happening once i accepted that then motivation was easier like for a while their motivation was really hard because i wanted to go out for an hour and i, I couldn't go out for an hour because i just didn't have the time or was just too tired but once i kind of thought you know what let's just go out for 20 minutes like we'll feel better after 20 minutes and sure enough you know you get out for 20 minutes and you go, oh, I, I'm glad I did that. And once you accept that, okay, racing at that time wasn't going to happen for the, over the distances I wanted to happen and training wasn't going to happen over the two distances I wanted to train, but I could still do 20, 30 minutes. So the key there was acceptance. What often we do is I'm too busy today to do my hour run, I'll try and do it tomorrow. And then the workload just piles up tomorrow. And then before you know it, it's like Thursday and you skip three runs waiting for that perfect time to go for a run. And then you get into that negative kind of self-talk. Well, I, I can't do it. Like I just, we, we always self-sabotage ourselves sometimes. Just kind of think, well, it's all too hard. Like I'll just skip this week and I'll start again next week. In a way, it's like a diet. Like you know, most people start diets on a Monday or the first of the month or the first of the new year. We never start. You know what? 
I'm going to start my diet at Wednesday at three o'clock, just because it's Wednesday morning. I want to start now. I'll just wait to the end of the week. And I think with running, when you when you're low on motivation, we can be a bit like that as well. I'll, uh, I'll just get through this month, and things will be better next month, and I'll start again. But I think my take home is to accept where you are, think about what's realistic, and for most of us, doing some kind of running is still realistic. It might only be twenty minutes three times a week. But it's a lot better than nothing. And what it will mean is that once you do have more time, it's much easier to get back into compared to, to six weeks of doing nothing. It's, it's way harder and way less motivating. You know, we've all had times when we've had injuries and got back and gone, oh, my God, this sucks. I'm so unfit. Whereas if you can keep doing something, it's just a lot easier, a lot easier. Simon, what about your experiences in lack of motivation and getting back into it? I think that, yeah, it- Sometimes just getting out the front door. Yeah. So what's your trick there? How do you get out the front door? I think no accepting that something I think if I've maybe got a tougher session or something like that, I think just go and and, and I've scared myself off it. I say go and do the warm-up, just go and do the first 10 minutes. And if you did if you still feel the same after 10 minutes, come on. Nine times out of ten. You get, yeah. in fact, all the time. <laughs> you do the first 10 minutes and you think, I'm out now. And once I'm out, I get going. And then I think, well, I might have 15 minutes warm. And then I might start to think about kicking into the session. But I have to almost trick myself sometimes to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to go and do that tempo session. I'm just going to get out and I'll just go and do 10 minutes or 15 minutes and I'll come home. And I'd say almost all the time. Once you're out of the house, it's just it's it's getting outside of the the cave, and just once you're yeah. out there, it's suddenly there's something in your body that naturally allows you to keep on going. I think, and and I think that's my biggest trick is just because it is easy just to get into a rut, and it's about habit forming and stuff. And sometimes when you have got things, you can you can prioritize family and life and kids and lots of things because you think, well, the running can take a backburn. It certainly and it can, and then just saying, well, I'll just have fifteen or twenty minutes gets you out of the house and um and accepting that i think like you said before accepting that it might not go well but it, it really I, th- I think once you're out you're out and uh i think that's yeah, I the think... since i was a kid my dad always used to say hardest thing about running is getting out the front door and it was because you'd sit there and you'd be wasting your time and procrastination is, is is the main reason and simple i think for me simple as that get out the door i think one thing i kind of took me a while to come to terms with once I had family is what I always try to put the family first but then after a while I kind of realized that you know what my health my sanity is I totally number one that. like I'm going to be the best dad and the best partner or a better dad and a better partner if I can at least do some form of fitness so and I started thinking about well you know doctors and medical experts all say that you know you need to do five-ish hours of exercise a week as a minimum just for general fitness. So I think, well, if, if that's just general, that's what they're ever, you know, that's what they're saying all of us need to do, whether it be walking, running, bike running, whatever. The general recommendation is five or so hours a week of exercise. Well, that's just five one hour runs a week. That's 50K a week of running, just to do in the basics. And that's, yeah. that's not being selfish. That's not kind of like putting the family second. That's just looking after myself so I can be the best person I can be for them. Once I kind of flipped around that in my head, then taking a little bit of extra time out to do that from the family, I didn't feel guilty. And once I stopped feel, feeling guilty, I started enjoying my runs again and started enjoying being out there instead of looking at my watch going, 
I really need to get home again. Like I need to look after the family. Like I just felt really guilty running and I didn't enjoy it. But it's a good process can... for the kids to see you doing it as well. I think yeah, as, the, is, yeah. as the kids it's... are growing up and they're getting older, it's that kind of you know it's not an inspiration or you, but it's a, but it's a good role model thing, and and kids can see that there is you know that it's not just all about them for one thing, and also you can be somebody who's involved in health and an exercise and being a healthy father and being a healthy parent for your kids keeping up with your kids because <laughs> they're getting stronger and faster. <laughs> getting faster. You, you, you need to be fit and healthy just to be a parent. And so, and, and it is a good role model situation where the kids can see that not just that hard work gives results, but just that having, having a healthy lifestyle is a good thing. And because we do have yeah. a lot of examples of sedentary lifestyles around us. We have all sorts of different shapes and sizes of people these days. And, and, and I think it, 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 it is just something that it's good for you, but it's also good for the kids as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, personally, that was how I got into running was dad would go for a few runs, you know, a week just to keep fit. Of course. And I was wanted to like, oh, I should get fit for these team sports I'm playing. Hey, dad, can I go run with you? Yeah. And then a few years later, we're both running marathons and ultras. Yeah. So it snowballs <laughs> a bit. But yes, like, yeah, definitely. So Ben, did, did your dad get into ultras after you got into ultras or did you get into ultras after he got into ultras? I can't remember uh, which it is. I had... I had voiced that I was keen to, cause I was a, I was sort of 17, 18. Like I don't think I was old enough to even, yeah. Or I was like 18, 19. Yeah. I was 18, 19 when I was sort of first mentioned to him as like, I think I'd like to get into ultra marathon. So he did his before I could be to make sure he could always say he did it first. <laughs> I, did, I, did, so I did my first one. I think he did his off. October and then I did mine the following March or something. So is that the story that he tells as well? <laughs> I'm not sure how he tells it, but I mean he, he got in first, so he can tell it yeah, however yeah, he yeah. wants. He definitely got in first. <laughs> so the next thing I kind of want to throw past you guys is like that intrinsic motivation of you know being out in nature, being fit and healthy, that gets us out the door and gets us training, which is great. The thing that often gets us training more is is tying in that extrinsic motivation of having a race. Now, I know for me, until recently, when I recently I signed up for the wild 100 mile in New Zealand, that's been the extra motivation that's changed my running from getting out 45 minutes to an hour and on the weekends maybe doing 90 minutes. So now I'm, I'm trying to do two or three hours in the weekend, get a bit more vert. So it's kind of taken the, given me a drive to go that next step in, in training. I think ignoring one for the other is never a good thing that we need both intrinsic and extrinsic without one we're going to fall down at some stage if you just got intrinsic you're just going to keep yourself fit which is great and that's fine but if you haven't got something extrinsic that's a little bit scary it's a little bit challenging then you're never going to really get towards your potential so it's important to have that balance and i think when the scales tip one way or the other that's when motivation can start to suffer if we're too focused on the races and forget the intrinsic stuff, then motivation will lack. And if we're too focused on the intrinsic and forget the races, then consistent training lacks as well. So it's about finding that balance. Intrinsic motivation, it's the icing on the cake, right? It really, it takes it to that next level. It makes you sort of go, wow, and really sort of step up. Yeah. But if that's all you've got, then it's going to be really hollow and just crumble yeah, quite exactly. easily. You need a really exactly. solid, nice cake in the middle. <laughs> so I don't know what you guys do, but I know for me, the thing that's kind of tied the two together and I've always been pretty strong with the intrinsic, but the extrinsic, I've had to really, really challenge myself to kind of push above that. And so when I did Ironman, I used to write out a 16 block of training, put it up on my 
behind my desk and I used to get a fluoro texter and just mark every session I did. So if I, did, if I missed a session, there was just a blank mark, you know, no mark there, no fluoro, which annoyed the OCD, CC, OCD, what am I saying? OCD yeah, you know in I mean. me. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's it. The OCD in me just couldn't handle having a little square. That's, it's like training peaks when it's yes. all green, you think it's yeah. great, but yes. if there's a red there, it's like, no, there's a red there. So that was back then, that's how I used to kind of really tie into that extrinsic motivation. Now what I do is I have the wild website up on my browser. So every day I log on and it's, it comes up automatically. So I'm daily reminded that I've entered this race. So it's a really easy, tangible thing just to kind of go, oh, hang on a sec. I've got to go from where I am now to a year's time doing 100 miles at 11,000 meters of vert. I need to keep focus, I need to keep consistency. What do you guys do? How do you guys tie in the boat? You know what? How do you tie into that extrinsic motivation on a consistent basis to allow you to do the training you need to do to, to achieve those goals? Yeah, I, I find I'm, as I said, because that was naturally, I, I, I think I had to develop the intrinsic motivation sort of more. I was initially quite extrinsic motivated. So it's not something I've had to purposely implement as much that I find I very naturally, even if I'm just going out for a run sort of to enjoy it, I'm going to mentally start visualizing like my upcoming races and that, that just is naturally sort of where my headspace goes as you start playing out different scenarios and that in there. And so, yeah, it's not something I have to sort of keep reminding myself about too much because I'm going to do that naturally. And if anything need to more make a point of not focusing not too much on that yep. because it's too easy for me to sort of fall down yep, that tipping path. Tipping that balance throw away. Yep. So I'm all about yourself. I'd say the same. I'm relatively competitive. So the fact that running is the thing I do because I enjoy, I think if it was no matter what, if I was into swimming or if I was into cycling, I would do it because I enjoy it, but I do have a competitive side where I do like to visualize things. So even when we're talking about the day-to-day motivations, rather than as, as well as it being, you know, like a race that I'll have entered, like you're saying there, but social groups, friends, going out on social runs, being competitive within those sorts of things face to face. But then with COVID and things, having friends in the UK who set challenges within sort of say Strava or something like that. I enjoy that, even though it's not really important. Yeah. It's it's, it's, exposure to it's that like, yeah, it's it's that competition of, oh, let's see if we can do a, you know, there's a vert challenge going on at the minute with a couple of friends in, in the northeast of England. And there's a, there's different things, just silly little things that do actually, you know, the Carmen line is something that I've been interested in recently, getting to 100,000 metres of vert in a year. And it's <laughs> it just, especially as I had a bit of a knee injury and it was harder for me running on the flat, I was actually enjoying going up and down the hills. It wasn't hurting my knee at all. So getting closer and closer to that as the year goes on and nearly 90,000 metres now, it's like, right, I've only got 10,000 to go and I've got like just over four weeks to go. Those little things, they're not, they're not massively Only an Everest to go. Yeah, I know. You know you're an ultra runner when. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's true. When you're doing 3,000 metres a week or 4,000 metres a week, it's quite easy. So it's kind of like, I know I'm almost there, but that has, when I've had those downward times with nothing to aim for, the races have been cancelled as far as extrinsics have gone, that has made some difference to me where I've had a bit of banter over social media with friends. Oh, I've seen you've done that. And, and, you, and it is those little things have given me extrinsic motivations which haven't had to have been like me entering yeah big things yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. the lara pinta trail or, or something like that you know it, it, there's those things definitely focus me because i'm scared to hell of running them and if i don't train and i don't do the right specific type of training i'm gonna get i'm gonna get murdered out there but 
the day to day, I think just little silly little things that can extrinsically motivate me, make it fun as well. Mm. And I guess one thing yeah, also with um, even with extrinsic motivation, sometimes. So one thing I'll sort of do sometimes is especially like it's really easy to get excited when you're feeling really good, nailing really good sessions. Yeah. That's easy to get excited. Exactly. So I guess at the moment, like I've the last sort of several weeks had a sort of a bit of a chronic fatigue thing going on. I'm getting figuring that out with the doctor and that at the moment. So you should again bottom. But it means that I've had a lot of really some of the slowest sessions I've done in a long time. And so trying to stay motivated through that period, I find one thing that I would often do when I'm running, you know, even if it's an easy run and it's 30 seconds or even a minute per K slower than a normal easy run pace, that you sort of think about, okay, even though it's much slower than 100K pace for me, I go, well, you'd probably like to do a 200 miler at some point. And man, this would be really quick in a 200 miler. You're just, you're, you're just starting to work on that efficiency at that sort of race pace. This is still race pace. It's yeah, even yeah. though you might not do that event for 10, 15 years, it's still sort of, yeah, this is putting in the work now, just building that base. So I, think, I think you've touched on something really important there, Ben. And I think to, to continually feed into your motivation because motivation is fleeting. Like typically what happens when we build a habit is we are motivated by something. There's some main motivator, whether it be lose weight, sign up for a race or whatever it is, that motivation gets us into a habit. And once the habit's forming, we kind of stick with the habit, but the habit will only stay a habit if we drip feed some motivation into that throughout. So things like you did, I do exactly the same thing. I'm running along like today, the first half of my run today I just felt horrible. Just I was running along, I don't know, six, six minute, 30 Ks and just feeling like didn't want to be there. It picked up in the end. But what I kind of thought it was exactly the same thing as you, Ben. I thought, right, well, this is this is pretty good going for a two and a mile pace. I had, I kid you not, I had the exactly the same thought. I thought, well, let's just get used to chugging along at six minute, 30 Ks. And all of a sudden the session doesn't feel like such a waste of time anymore. It kind of goes, oh, okay, well, this is what it's going to feel like. I use visualization a huge amount in in training for me to help feed into the extrinsic motivation and i just i remember for ironman i would like at the end of a long run i used to do a lot of fast finish long runs and in the last kind of half an hour i would visualize really strongly you know running up the last 5k of the ironman running a sub three hour marathon and then you know i'd picture how it would feel i'd picture you know family and friends by the side cheering me on i'd picture the crowd i'd, I'd really practice that visualization but it became very very strong and when you get good at that, like it means the last half hour of my run, I felt fantastic. Like there's almost, i almost literally the first few times I did this to and ran a marathon in training, I literally fist pumped at the end because I had all this kind of going on in my head and it felt so real. Like anybody watching me going, what is that dude doing? Like you're just running, like it's just, but to me like, whoa, yeah, all right, yeah. this is fantastic, <laughs> you know? So I think if you can tap into that, frequently throughout your, your own training you just realize the motivation is there but if you just if you just sign up for a race and forget your intrinsic motivation and that race is like four months away you can just fall into the grind of training and you kind of lose touch of the excitement of it all so i think it's really important to continue feeding your motivation in dribs and drabs throughout the year in whatever way feeds you the best i think without that we start to find that kind of burnout period where we're kind of going from one race to the next without really getting excited about it just because someone else is doing it. We've lost track of in intrinsic motivation and it all gets a bit ho-hum and then we just need a break. But I think if you can 
tap into that motivation, both intrinsically and extrinsically, you can enjoy your running a lot, lot more. I'm so glad you're not that. the only one who's done the like fist pump on your own sort of run. <laughs> or uh, for me, Colin, I, I I think of uh, sort of particularly sort of uphill mountain race during hill ropes. I'll think of like mountain races I've done in Europe where you've got just like the crowds in your face. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think I've actually, while going past someone, like accidentally gone out loud. I was like, Alas, Alas, oh, 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 oh. Like, oh, wait, they heard that one. They heard that one. You have you know, That's just me talking out loud. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear my life on Tuesday, I was running up and down the Byron Lighthouse track and there's a guy who turns out is a friend of a friend, but I've never met him before. And as I went past, he went, allez, allez. And so I, was, I was like, what? And he went up to the lighthouse. He came down 10 minutes later and he joined in with me and he started talking about it. And it was really, really, it did it give me that kind of feeling that I was, it was bizarre. But yeah, guy called Sam, I met him the other day. <laughs> he allied me up the hill. <laughs> That's what I you want. That, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Mount Warning used to be wonderful for that, running up yeah, and down Mount Warning, because there were so many tourists going up and down. And if you were doing reps, oh, it was such an ego boost. Because at first, oh, look at that guy running the second time. So I say something. When they see you a third or fourth time, they're like, yeah, dude, you're in. And it was, it is that funny little tapping into your ego of like, this is, this is really good. <laughs> and there's, there's nothing wrong with tapping into your ego with that. Oh, and it's think, funny, isn't it? <laughs> the thing I found is that, you know, when you, when you're in a race and you run into a checkpoint and you hear all the applause of people cheering, you get that lift. Now you get a bit of a buzz and all the aches kind of fade a bit and you feel good. Two Ks later, you're out in the bush, it's dark, you're by yourself, all of a sudden all that just goes. But the more you can practice that motivation, that visualization of people around you, the longer that feeling can last for. And you can, you can recreate that exact same feeling with no checkpoint and no people at all, just in your brain by strong visualization. But you have to practice it. It's not something that you can just go, oh, Andy said to visualize people cheering me along in the middle of the bush at night. It's not working very well. I don't feel anything. You've got to practice that more and more and more. So it feels real. Like you can actually, when the studies have shown, you can actually replicate the same feelings you would have if it actually happened for real in your brain. But that doesn't happen without practice. So it kind of leads into our next topic on you know, what do we do when we're actually running to help improve our runs and you know the first thing i would say is visualize particularly long runs like a lot of long runs you know when i'm coming in the last k at home i will visualize the commentator and here comes andy to why he's coming he's got one k to go he's gonna break it's no it's coming in 10th place or whatever you know? <laughs> yeah and that's all going on in my head and it's a great way to finish a run because it just gives you being pumped and it doesn't matter how shit you feel like you can feel really shit and you can still have that dialogue going on in your head and I guarantee you, if you practice that and you get good at visualizing that in your brain, you won't feel so shit anymore. Even if you're shuffling way slower than what you normally run, you're still finishing a hundred mile in your head. So you still get that same buzz. So I think visualization for me personally, I, I do a huge amount of that, particularly towards the end of long runs when I get tired. You guys do much of that in long runs or what other tips in long runs? I do runs the commentator thing heaps. That's that, yeah. that's probably my go-to where, yeah, you've got the comment. I mean, that's a good thing about watching all these like videos on YouTube and that they come out these days of, you know, the running documentaries or watching live races. That then after the golden that, series. Only, yeah, not only does that pump you up while you're watching it, but then afterwards, you know, you have in your own head while you're going for your own, yeah, now the commentary team is describing how amazing your your run is going in that and even though you're just plodding along on your usual loop around home it doesn't matter you still have all that positive sort of talk going on as yeah you've got this hype team basically in your head 
So I'm in the same, or are we just freaks? We just gonna yeah, no, we just narcissists. <laughs> yes, I don't know what you're talking about, boys. That's bizarre. Um, I, 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 from from the flip side, I often imagine somebody else training, and what would they be doing? So I should do this harder. And oh, I often, interesting. yeah. And I, I'll oh. tap into that. I'll imagine it's almost that. I remember when 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 I was a kid, the the decathlete, the British decathlete, Daley Thompson, who yep. was Olympic champion, and da 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 da. And he always, what made the difference? To, I train on Christmas Day, he said. And it was that it was like I did something that other people don't do. And on those days, sometimes from a motivation point of view, if I am close to a race, I'll imagine somebody who I know is similar to me, they'll be training today. They'll have got out of bed today. Or if I'm yeah. actually on the hill, I'm thinking they wouldn't be whinging about it. And, and I can actually, I can scare myself that somebody else is doing what I should be doing, so I should do it. And yeah. I, I can do that way around as well, just imagining that, others, others that reminds working harder of, than me. <laughs> that reminds me of the, uh, I think it's a well-known story of Seb Coe on Christmas Day in, nine, I think it was 1979. Yeah. It was a really harsh, harsh day, terrible weather. So he, he, you know, but, you know, he's a world record holder. He still gets up, does his morning run. And sort of at Christmas lunch, he starts feeling a bit uneasy because he's thinking Steve Ovette probably still went out and did a second session. <laughs> so he went out and did his second session. Well, this is then the famously when he then told Steve that uh, story later, Steve's reply was, You only trained twice that day. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But that was it. That was that same generation of 80s sort of British yeah. track stars. Daley Thompson was the same. And it, they were all at that same, you know, that Olympic thing. And it was all about who was doing something that somebody else wasn't doing. And it, it, that's, I think I tapped into my childhood kind of psyche. And I do still think that now they'll be training. <laughs> Stop complaining. Get out of bed. Awesome. So the next thing I want to kind of go through is, you know, we can't do that for the whole long run. We can do it for a bit, but, you know, when you head out for a three-hour run, the first thing you think about is not like you thought, you know, here I am in a race. The ability to save mental energy is important in a race because we know in, in the first half of a race, things feel pretty comfortable. You don't have to focus much on form. You can just let your brain relax. And then the back half of the race, we need to spend our mental energy wisely in the back half of the race. So what tactics do we do in long runs or easy runs to help us train our brains to relax more? Now, I know for me, nature is a great one because you can just start looking at the clouds. You can just start looking at the trail. You can just start smelling you know the, the plants foliage around you you can let your mind drift off you can just stop trying to think about work you can just go i just want to blank my mind i want to focus on my breathing for a bit and allow thoughts to come in and just really switch off the brain and allow it to just be where it wants to be rather than think about the work you have to do later that day whatever problem you've got and i know you know it's well documented that if you give your brain a break during, you know, through exercise, you often come back and you, you solve the problem you were trying to solve before you left. So for me, I, I always, in the first part of my life, I try and switch off. I try and just let my brain be surrounded by nature, take in nature, whether it's raining or sunny or the beach has got lots of waves or it's flat or it's windy or it's not windy or the trail is soft or it's hard or there's animals or whatever it is, just trying to let myself switch off and be present to start with. Do you guys do similar things or what do you guys do to switch off in runs? A little, yeah, definitely. Uh, so one thing I sort of will during sessions and during long run sort of, um, I always break it down back into sort of the associative and dissociative sort of um, yeah. framework. So you've got your associative cues, which are information relevant to the task and dissociative cues, which is shifting focus away from the relevant task. And so generally 
so your research sort of shows that associative strategies tend to often enhance performance at higher intensity. So I'll try to lean yeah. on those more during harder reps than that, or when I need to really dig deep during a, even during a long run, if you've got a tough climb or something coming up, whereas dissociative strategies often will actually lower RPE. So your perceived yeah. exertion, that's what Andy was touching on there. We sort of drift away. Um, and even within that, you can then break it down further into sort of internal cues. So that's within your body and yeah. external cues out of the body. So you, you've now got sort of four different wells you can sort of drip into. You can have associative internal, so your running form, your breathing, which are classic ones you might use during um, higher intensity reps or associative external. So like pace, distance covered race tactics. They'll often in a ultra be something I would probably refer to more i'll have my watch beeping at me every 10 minutes to remind me to drink and eat and i like to just chunk it up into sort of 10 minutes think about what have i covered in this 10 minutes what do i need to do in that next 10 minutes where's the checkpoint coming up okay what will i need to do when i get there breaking it up like that and then you've got your dissociative internal so that's just your daydreaming and problem solving and that so that's one yeah as you say when you want to really just switch off that's where you might be thinking about what else is just going on in life. So in training in the long run, that might be what have you got planned for dinner that evening or something, or, you know, what else are you, what else have you got? Or if there are other problems, you said, sometimes you switch off and don't think about those other problems. Sometimes that's the time to sort of mull something over in your head or a conversation have with people. I talk to myself a lot in the head. Like if you've got a conversation (laughs) you want to have with someone, now's a good time to sort of practice it. And then, yeah, just dissociative external as well. So that's just, yeah, as you said, when you're in nature, that's the enjoying the view, sort of the stopping to smell the roses and that a bit more to sort of really appreciate where you are, which is obviously easier um, if you're not on your normal routes. Like that's when you go to a new yeah. place and that it can be a lot easier to go, wow, this is amazing. If you're running the same trail, you've run a million times before. Sure, like there's something to be said for enjoying the beauty in and looking for those small details. But obviously it's a lot easier if you've now just traveled to this great new landscape and sort of go, wow, this is so different to what else I've seen before that, yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of appeal of why people want to go do races like UTMB, right? Like you sort of get to go, wow, these Alps look amazing. I think that... um disassociative strategies of of running the same trail and picking up differences is an important one to practice though i think with more like i was running i've got a we ran it when you came to my place last year the year before i can't remember would have been year before there's a little tree forest i call tree tunnel i call it a little sandy trails it's kind of got trees over the outside of it it's going to give the effect of a tree tunnel and the light today was quite cloudy and overcast and the light was quite different to how it is on a sunny day I think the more you can practice that kind of mental technique, the easier it comes. Like we know from studies on flow that people can get into the zone easier and quicker the more they practice that. The more you practice being present, the quicker you'll get into the zone. Now, for a lot of people, the zone is this elusive thing that every now and then you have to run where 10K just went by and it seemed like it took like two minutes. You just were in the zone, you're in the moment, and time just seemed to both stand still and fast forward. And all of a sudden, the three quarters way through your run. And you kind of think, so, wow, I wonder if every run could be like that. Now, not every run can be like that, but a greater percentage of runs can be like that if you practice being present in your runs. Now, whether you focus on, as Ben said, internal things like breathing, how your body feels in your run, your footfall, or you know, running cues or biomechanics, or you focus on external things like nature, sounds, sights, etc. It doesn't really matter. 
as long as you're focusing on the present, then you start to find flow and you start to be in the zone more often than not, rather than very, very rarely. So I think it's something we kind of, we don't do too much, you know, the thought of going for an easy run or a long run, actually consciously practicing a mental technique in an easy run is not something many runners do consciously. Subconsciously, eventually they might get to that every now and then, but going out for a run and go, right, today's easy run. I'm not just going to run. I'm going to practice being present in nature today and just see if I can switch off everything else and just be there and see how I go. So what do you do when for easy runs and long runs? What's your technique for, for switching off or trying to find the zone or make the hours pass? I think it would depend on what, what my focus for it was. Say if it is just about switching off or just a really easy run, finding somewhere, I mean, and also what time is available to me. Um, the type of run, if I, if I am going up into the hills, if I can if, if I can have at some point along the run an objective, a place to go and see, a, a view, um, getting up to nightcap bluffs, an example for me where I'll go and I know I get to the Caldera wall and I've gone through the rainforest and suddenly I'm on a cliff edge looking out down across the Caldera to, to Mount Warning and you can see the whole of the volcano sort of internal. And that gives me like almost a halfway point for some of my runs. So having sort of visual rewards and things that I know that I can get to or it's sometimes just there's in, there's enjoyable sections that I just like to to run on whether the, like you said before whether the ground's soft or whether it's technical I try and make my long runs something that I'm looking for so and if I can mix it up I can change it I can you know, have some some hard fire trail some nice easy stuff something that's got the right vert in it something that's got some technical soft stuff in it something that's got roots or rocks in it it depends what I'm looking for but I think that's that's why I think as a sport, it's not just run. It's got so many entertaining little elements to it that keep you interested. And I often say to people about how do you, you know, how do you run that far? How do you keep running? It's because I'm not really thinking about running most of the time. If I'm running on the road, yeah, most of the time, you, you, because it's, I don't know. I've, I've got to kind of focus on what I'm doing if I'm trail running. So I am looking at the ground. I am taking things and I can find that I've switched my head off and not, if I choose to, not thought about anything. Because if it's a technical trail, all I'm thinking about is don't trip over. And I'm watching my feet. And it's from that point of view, it's so, you're so absorbed in what it is, just each footfall that you stop thinking about other things. Whereas conversely, if you're on a, on a less technical trail, you could, almost switch off from the running and then just be thinking about everything that's in your head. And that could be a good thing because it's time to think and stuff like yeah, that. So yeah. there's, there's different, you, you, sometimes you don't want to switch, you want to switch off and sometimes you want to think about stuff. So from, from that point of view, just to, as, as a distraction, it's, I can find ways of easily distracting myself if I can't get up to the hills and I've got to do a longer run that is just getting the correct amount of vert into this particular run. And I have got to go up and down and up and down the same thing. I can break the hour down and to know how many of these hills do I need to get in the next hour. But I'm constantly checking my watch or I'm counting. The amount of counting that I do in my head yeah. is insane. Counting how many steps I take, how many this is. And it's a, for no reason, Just it's just that it is a distraction. But am I on target? If it takes me seven minutes to get up and it takes me five to get down. So that's 12 minutes to do that. Oh, that one took me 13 or oh, that one took me 11 and a half. I can throw the numbers around in my head, even though I know I'm going to do about five an hour. I'm constantly checking, am I on still five an hour or not yeah. of this particular hill? So there's, there's loads of silly little things that are just tripping around your head all of the time, making you think. And it, 
it's just distracting yourself from whatever. And other times I am thinking about what I'm doing for the rest of the day or whatever I've got to do with the kids or whatever, but it, it's, it, it depends what the motivation is or, or what, what you, how you want to distract yourself, but I can be very focused on it being a race or looking at stuff. And it's, it, I, I find it, I just, even just talking about this, when you like before, sometimes it's hard to, to put it into mm. words. It is hard to put it into words because there's so much more than just running yeah. that you're actually yeah. doing that it's not, I'm a runner. Yeah. And loads of other stuff's going on. This isn't like I used to when I ran around a track or, or road run. I've got a million things that I'm loving about what I'm doing for so many different reasons. It's mad. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, there are think... a couple of things you touched on that. There was the, the mental arithmetic one that if I'm doing oh. a, so if I'm doing hill reps, that is a classic. Or if you know, with a whole run is just doing reps the whole time. And you'll be like, okay, that one was 1128. The last one was 1129. So if I keep doing that, how many am I going to finish? Oh, Absolutely. I can do it. And the last yeah. two could be 1135 and I would still get in this nice round number and finish on the dot. And you're just <laughs> I doing this mental arithmetic. think of that stuff yeah. all the time. <laughs> But then also, and you mentioned there with technical trails and that, how I think that's one of the reasons I really love more technical trails that you get to really just relax and lose yourself into that moment because it forces you to, if you try and think about it, you're going to roll an ankle, you're going to stuff it. Your your conscious mind can't keep up. So you need to just let go and let the unconscious sort of do its thing and be just completely lost in that sense of movement. It was actually quite fun. So I recently, I started getting into free diving, which is where you just have to hold your breath and go down dive. And so anyway, part of the training for that, you need to do what's just called static training, which you're static. It's just literally holding your breath underwater, which obviously I'm not a tra- trained to, I'm not trained to train people. Don't just go holding your breath underwater without a trained <laughs> professional, like watching no. you and without proper training. No, but anyway, you now have a way of quantifying relaxation because every extra bit of tension in your body, every extra thought that's all burning oxygen and going to shorten the amount of time you can hold your breath. And I really struggle with that compared to all of the dynamic things, the dyna- all the dynamic ones, I was fine because I could just lose yeah. myself into the movement and just focus on and just, relax into that movement and then but the static oh my gosh that was so hard because now usually if i try to relax movement or breathing well those are the two things you can't do <laughs> during, yeah. during static apnea and so yeah that was an interesting experience that you have to just sort of re- it was almost so you, one of the first stages so first thing you're going to get is the urge to breathe and then after that you'll start getting what are called contractions where the yeah. breathing muscles start involuntary contracting and part of it, you know, if you haven't experienced that before, it's really overwhelming and scary. And that, that's probably the worst part is the anticipation. But then once it actually starts, it was actually kind of nice because I had something to focus on. It was just these, oh, these involuntary, <laughs> yeah, contractions are going on. You can relax just into those now. They don't it's uncomfortable, but it's not painful, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and you can yeah. just, yeah, actually lose yourself into that, that it's like, ah, oh, but trying to clear the mind before that, yeah, right. it's something I... Yeah, and we're still not very good at. It. Still have a lot of room for improvement in that area. Well, I think I think it's a really good point. I think you know, running on technical trails, as Simon said, it's very easy just to be in be in the moment because as soon as you start thinking about anything else, you fall over. So, and the research on flow confirms that the more challenging a task is, as long as it's not too challenging, the easier it is to find flow state. So we know that if something's challenging technically wise it's far easier to get that state of being present the challenge of course is to do what ben said is to find that state of flow when it's not challenging 
when you're running along a bit of fire trail that's flat, it's just flat dirt road, can you still find that flow state? That's much, much harder because you don't have to be super focused because it's not technical at all. It's possible for sure. Like anybody who's done any meditation will know the first time they did meditation. Now they probably went to a class and they thought, I could be 20 minutes of meditation. I can do 20 minutes. Cool. All right. The gong goes, everyone's silent. And about 10, 20 seconds later, you gone, that must be a minute. Surely my minute in now. Sure. Uh, maybe it's two you minutes. You did well now. if it took you a whole 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Your mind straight away starts thinking about stuff. Now, anybody who's persevered with meditation, I've done a little bit. I wouldn't call myself an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But anybody who's done any kind of courses at all will know that it's not a case of your brain having no thoughts. It's a case of the thought coming into your head on one side and just floating like a cloud out the other side without you grabbing hold of that. So you might be running along and you might think to yourself, oh, my, my legs are sore. But instead of going on to a dialogue about why they're sore, I said, did I do strength yesterday? What was yesterday's run too hard? Should I be going easier today? having a big dialogue about it, you go, that's interesting, my legs are sore. That's it. And then there's a little pause. Another thought pops in. And the better you get at it, the more those thoughts can pop in and pop out again without you attaching any kind of importance to it. Now, once you get good at that, then you can go out for an easy run and like 45 minutes later, you go, no, I'm almost done. But it takes practice. Like it's easy to get into the zone on a highly technical trail when there's waterfalls and mountain views and all that kind of stuff. And that's obviously a huge part of, the reason why we do it in the first place but if you can find flow running along a road around your neighborhood and still get into that flow state then running is so much more enjoyable and then when it comes to races you can find that flow state and just conserve all your mental energy until later on when you need to either focus on you know running form pace nutrition or whatever it is that extra motivation needed to keep running, you've got that mental energy. So I think that's something that's really important to practice. That's what I mean, ca- counting again works for that for me. Like Counting's great for that. Yep. I, I think I'm, I'm sure it was Paula Radcliffe and she used to be able to count her, she used to count her stride. And because of her cadence, she knew exactly what her cadence was. She knew however many rounds that she was doing were how many minutes and how many minutes for how, how many miles or kilometers yep. that she was doing. And she could, um, Pretty sure it was Paul Rackers, and she could just count, and she, and that was it. And and it's the same for me. I can find myself counting when I'm on something less, and whether it's you looking at pace on your watch, or you're looking at power, or whatever. But but sometimes it is just a matter of cadence or something like that, and counting, 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 and it and it can take away the pain in your legs. It can take away the the the, the focus on anything else. It's just one, two, counting to ninety. Left foot, just keep yeah. going. Oh, I try it on my right foot now. Well, that's a bit different. And uh, all it, techniques are staying present. They're all you so, can't count yeah. and think about other stuff because you're counting so and that kind of leads into the next kind of thing i want to talk about is okay that's easy runs and long runs what about interval sessions hill repeats what techniques mentally can we develop to help us push hard through those last three reps of a set of you know eight five minute hill repeats or whatever the first few are obviously easy enough but what do we do when things get harder and we want to slow down but we've got to find some way of continuing to push. Ben, what are your tips And when you're doing, you know, a set of six by your hill repeats and pushing hard and you've got three to go and you're in the in the pain cave, what do you do mentally? So as I said earlier with the uh, the internal tier squad, that's definitely a big one. Yep. There is yep, a bit of a well. personal hype going on. <laughs> um, and then the other ones that I really switch onto is, yeah, just breathing and running form. And with that, there may not, and this is where it's really hard 
to articulate that it is a bit meditative in that it's not necessarily focusing on, there may not even be a cue. Sometimes there will just be a word like strong, fast, something like that, but it's then associating with a feeling. And that's where, sorry, I can't really verbally describe that kinesthetic feeling, but I know what it feels like to feel strong when I run. And I'm trying to focus on that feeling and just lose yourself into that feeling. Cause the longer you can keep that feeling going, you know, that you're going to be running fast. And sometimes, yeah, it will be a bit of a positive mantra, but as I said, I tend to, the higher the intensity go, the less mental bandwidth I have. So it might go from a moderate intensity to be, I am strong. I am fast to by the time you're at full bill, or it's just strong, fast, strong, fast <laughs> with each breath, sort of sinking in something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. I know for me, when I'm, at my limit, it's count to four. That's all I need. One, two, three, four. I just repeat, <laughs> repeat, repeat. Because four seconds I can handle. Like any more than that, you're in a world of pain. Like I can't think that far ahead. So just counting to four and repeating is works really well for me. But I really like your description of you know tapping into that kinesthetic feeling of how you feel because you do a similar. I do a similar thing. It's like you know, you know what it feels like to push hard and run with good form and how that all ties together and focusing in on that and keeping that feeling going throughout the whole rep rather than letting it kind of deteriorate towards the end yeah i do exactly the same thing because i can always i can often tell actually with hell reps and that in particular or just reps at the same coming to distance that the ones where i know i just mentally switched off i didn't even consciously reduce effort but it's like halfway through i started thinking about that final episode of the tv series i watched last night (laughs) and just suddenly you were you know 10 seconds slower than the previous rep or whatever and it's yeah, just because, yeah, you sort of let your mind, because, you know, as I said, like, this isn't irrational. <laughs> your mind wants to wander. It doesn't want to push to, to, to that limit. So it is something, yeah, that you really do have to, to practice and hone in on. Definitely. Simon, what's your tips? For pushing yeah, I, I think stand presence important because it is, it's dead easy to get distracted by stuff and, 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 and give yourself excuses. So when you're starting to feel tired or you're starting to do that, Oh, well, maybe I should have. And, and yeah, I think it's 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 remaining present and staying focused on what you're doing. But for me, often it is breathing um, and yeah. and form and cadence. So if I'm running up something, it's it, if I can control my breathing, I can hopefully control my pace. Because if things are going to go wrong, it's often because I haven't paced it correctly in the first place. Yeah. Or I've gone too hard on the first two or one and I've blown up. And and then everything after that is is torture. So it's <laughs> it's it's learning experience. It's from, from experience. And I suppose that's why we use some of these metrics, you know, whether, whether it is, you know, perceived effort or whether it is actual power and things like that, that you're trying to, you, you, you're checking it. But really they're just ways of, Uh, yeah yeah well also just through experience you know how to pace yourself so you shouldn't and and you should be gaining that and you shouldn't always have to be checking whether you're going exactly the right power all the time to a degree if if you're good at doing it you know not to go too hard and when you do it makes it harder that's where your motivation goes and and you give yourself all sorts of excuses for why oh you know what actually yeah i'm a bit short of time maybe i should go back and i don't know and you can you can give yourself all sorts of outs and excuses and exit strategies but yeah i think breathing really does help me just if i can stay focused on my breathing especially if it's shorter reps and if it's um and if they're much more high intensity it's it's about breathing it's about form it's about keeping my my footfall not overextending and all those kinds of things of it is it's bringing it back to the basics of what this session's about it's if and if it is a high intensity session you've got 
you've got much more running form things that you can probably focus on than if it's say a long run as we we're talking about before. Yeah. So um, I, I think then you, and it is, and then at least you get the recovery on the way down or at the top, and you can refocus and regather yourself and make sure you get that right, and then it's back to you again. You know, breathe, breathe. Yeah, I think uh, I think form is is really a good one to focus on, particularly if um, you're doing shorter reps. So I think shorter reps allow you the ability to kind of test rep by rep. Like I've got a 400 meter stretch of road near me. So when I'm doing reps of that, I'll kind of pick one, maybe two things form orientated. Like it might be, let's try and up my cadence a bit and just see how that feels and what the time is. So I'll do that rep. Oh, I was two seconds faster. That's interesting. Didn't feel any harder, but I was a bit faster. Mm -hmm. Okay. This rep, I'm going to focus on lengthening my stride a little bit. Okay. Oh, that was the same time, but it felt harder. Okay. Right. This rep I'll focus on pulling under more or arm or leaning forward or, or anything. doesn't really matter. You don't have to be a biomechanics expert. You just got to connect in with how your body feels and tweak a few of those things. And with short reps, you can kind of That's it. figure out. Which it's it micro, is, like micro things, yeah, aren't there? Rather yeah. than the bigger picture, oh, look at nature yeah. and all that. It's the micro stuff you can't Exactly. And you can figure out what you need to focus on when you get tired. So I know for me, cadence is the thing that goes when I get tired. So I just have yeah. to focus on cadence. And the other thing for me is I tend to come more upright where I lean slightly forward, the speed comes back. So through experience, I know if I focus on those two things when I get tired, my form is going to be better and my speed is therefore going to be better as well. So I think combination of breathing, mantras, counting, form, all those things are the go-tos really. Something we haven't touched upon though is the motivation to do the session. Because we know from studies that the more motivated you are, the more pain you're willing to experience. So they did a classic study where they did a wall sit. They got people to squat against a wall, squat down and hold that position for as long as they possibly could. Anybody who's ever done a wall squat knows you know, after about 20, 30 seconds, it starts to get quite painful. So they tested a bunch of people on how long they could hold. And they told them you'll hold for as long as you possibly can. Then they got them back. Can't remember how long it was, a week or two later. I tested them again, but this time, when they started to get towards the point where they failed last time, I start saying, I'll give you five pounds if you can do another 10 seconds. I'll give you another five pounds. And they lasted for longer. They got them back a couple of weeks later and did it again. This time, instead of five pounds, it was like 50 pounds. And again, they went longer. So they went to failure, what they thought was failure first time, but with the extra motivation of 50 quid for another 10 seconds, all of a sudden, they could go further. Are they getting so, fitter though? No, they, they tested all that. They made sure they didn't do any squats at all in the meantime. So it wasn't, yeah. <laughs> Got to ask, haven't you? Because <laughs> yeah, they, did, they didn't know they were going to come back and get given money. Mm. So what it kind of shows is that with the right motivation, we can push harder. So sometimes when we're doing our speed sessions or our hill sessions, if you kind of tap into the motivation for pushing hard and the rewards you're going to get from pushing hard, it can be easier. Now, Simon, one thing you might use based on what you've told me today is you might say, well, Ben's going to be doing hill reps hard. Andy's going to be doing hill reps hard. I'm not going to back off. Right. So that right. extra motivation of knowing someone else is going to be pushing hard and not backing off. Oh, it works for me. Push that a bit harder. <laughs> Strava, we kind of criticize Strava a lot, but Strava can be useful. You've got a hill with a Strava rep on it. You go, well, so-and-so did it in this time. Let's see how close I can get to that time. Oh, segment chasing is loads of fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you're just doing a normal hill, let's say you know, your PB up the hill is, I don't know, seven minutes 30. Now, without looking at Strava, you might think, well, that's a pretty good time. But if a mate of yours has done seven minutes 15, hmm, suddenly the motivation to push and find 15 seconds is ramped up quite a lot higher. 
So you might find yourself, you might not get 715, you might get 725, but it's five seconds more than what you're doing before. So thinking about how you can motivate yourself to push that a bit harder and the benefits that session is going to give you can allow you to tap in and push yourself a little bit more than what you think you could before. So Ben, do you tap into that kind of stuff at all? Does that kind of work for you? Yeah, definitely. That um, I will. Yeah, it depends though also where where I am at in sort of fitness. That if I know that I am sort of in good form, I will certainly start to look at that usually a little bit more. Um, as I said, it can be a bit demoralizing if you yeah. are. So there are periods where if I'm not in good shape, I, I just don't look at data at all. I agree with I know, that totally. <laughs> Because my attitude toward data, so, and this is probably why I still have Andy coach me in that, that my attitude towards data is that if it makes, if it ever makes you feel worse after a run by looking at the data than you felt during it, then uh, you shouldn't be looking at the data. I totally agree. Um, but if things are going well, looking at the data makes you feel great because here's numerical confirmation about how great that run was. So yeah. then, then you will start to look and get a little bit competitive and think about, well, okay either with yourself or with other people um, and sort of go, okay, well, can I squeeze out that little bit more? Hey, they were able to do this. If they can do it, why can't I? Um, and that sort of thing. And to squeeze that a little bit out, but yes, as I said, so like at the moment where things aren't going as well, no, I don't, I haven't no, looked at my data in ages because it's, <laughs> it's not pretty reading. So it's in that case, then something that, yeah, don't lean on as heavily. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, it's a common thing also that we see a lot of people will disconnect from Strava and stuff like that when they're yeah. coming yes. back from injury. Yes. I, for a long time, yeah, I think I was just using a, you know, like a Timex sort of had a, a no GPS or anything until about 2014, 2015 or something that I started actually using it regularly because I just didn't trust myself to have that data. I knew yeah. it would too often play with my head a bit. Um, yeah, and there's so there's a time and a place for it. Definitely, definitely. Simon, I know you were dead keen on racing Strava segments and that kind of stuff. But I, I do at times. I, I think there's, there's certain rules that I have to stick to, though. I don't like people who just go to the bottom of a, set, of a hill and then run it. You've, it's got to be within around about a 10K run. If somebody goes <laughs> and stands at the bottom of the hill and runs up once and takes the segment, I think that's... I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. Some people might do that, but um, having a 14-year-old son who's getting quicker as well at times, and he doesn't yeah, train... And he doesn't train very much. He, he's just, eh, whatever. But he'll go and do, we'll go for a run or something like that. And then he'll do a section. We had a, like a Friday challenge during COVID. And there's a road not far from us. And there's a, somebody set it as a section. And he went and flew it one day and took the crown. And the next day I went out with my daughter and we worked out what she could do. And so give her, she's 10, and give her, you know, like whatever, half a kilometre head start over this particular distance. And it was about trying to catch her. But then also known he'd set this particular time. I was nearly sick at the end. I was, there was no way. And I, I did get him. I've got to say I did get him. But um, I, cause I, and the thing is, if he's going to do it, I, it's, there's, I'm not patronizing him at all. It's going to, he, he's very, it's not very far around the corner. And, um, and when he gets it, you know, he knows that he'll have got it because it's legit. But uh, there was, it's funny just having little things, silly things like that. But I'd agree with what Ben said before about it can be quite negative. And, and also yeah. knowing, knowing that, if you've been in really good form at 12 months, two years beforehand, and you, you've set a, you've got a good time for a particular stretch that you've done, I won't often go and even try it really hard. I'll, I'll use that hill, but I won't go and give it 
the hundred percent one because I know yeah, I'm, sure I'm, I'm not quite ready to know how close I am to it because I know it myself that I'm not close to it and um, uh, yeah so it can be it can be and I know quite a few friends who've recently disconnected from Strava and or similar things just because they're injured as you say and stuff like that so it can be demotivating as well. I think it's really important to understand yourself and your own motivations and understand how you will react to that mm-hmm. because. As you said, it can be very, very negative. It can be, you know, you go for a run and you think you're fit, so you test something out. It's like, oh, hell, nowhere near what I was. And that can yeah. really unmotivate you. So I think it's important to know yourself. I know for me, like I've got a hill near my place and I did do it whilst I've been unfit, but it was like, okay, I didn't push 100% though. So I will put that caveat in there. I didn't put 100%. So my record, I think, is 7 minutes 20. And I did it kind of like, I don't know, three or four months ago, I did 8.10. Now, my, my top five span from 720 to 745. So, oh, 8.10, you know, it's a warm day. I didn't push 100%. So I was able to twist that round to being positive. But I know myself. I know I could do that. Whereas other people will go, shit, I'm like almost a minute slower. Like, And they can't rationalise that in their head. Like I've got clients, quite a few clients in Hong Kong, particularly, you know, they'll say to me, like, I'm so much slower. Like you're in the middle of summer. It's 35 degrees and 90% humidity. Yes, you're slower. Like you're actually faster once we take you into cooler conditions. So it's important to kind of understand how you react to that kind of external motivation like that and use it for positive and not for negative. Something yeah, it's else a I'd... funny one that it plays with people's head a lot more than altitude. I find people can accept yeah. that. Okay. I'm on top of a high mountain. I'm going to run slowly, but if you're running on the same trails that you ran, you know, six months earlier and we're feeling great and suddenly it's, you know, 15 degrees hotter and, 30 40% more hu- higher humidity and it feels so much worse it's harder to accept that maybe those conditions are playing a role in mm. your yeah. feeling terrible yeah, yeah sure. definitely i think the last thing before we move on is i i tend to when i'm doing those hard sessions i tend to focus on the race i'm training for and connect the two connect the benefit of the session to the race i think sometimes we kind of can lose track of that like if you don't understand how i hard flat speed session can help you a mountain race then you're less inclined to push that hard you're kind of doing it because if your coach told you to or you read somewhere that you know ultra runners even though they're doing mountain races should do some form of speed training but you're maybe not 100 invested in it so therefore getting that little bit of extra out of that session when you could be pushing hard you don't do because you're not you don't really see why like oh, i should be doing it yeah so i'm doing it but i'm not really committing 100 to it Ben? Conversely, same argument for take, keeping your easy runs easy enough that if you're not yeah, fully yeah. bought into that, again, you say, yeah. oh, but I could push harder. So yeah. Yeah, why don't I turn into a tempo run? Yeah. <laughs> so understanding the purpose of the session yes. and how it relates to your race and your particular fitness, I think is really important to motivate, as Ben said, not just pushing hard, but also going easy. And I think that's, that's a really, really good point because often so many times the biggest mistake people make is pushing too hard in their easy runs because they just don't understand why you need to go easier. So take over from this is understand the purpose of the session and how it relates to your race. And then you'll be able to either push harder or back off more and do the session at the prescribed intensity. Anything else on motivation for hard sessions before we get stuck into the nitty gritty of races? I think we've... I think we've touched probably. on a lot there. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. All right. So pushing hard in races, like obviously the first half of the race is no matter how, what the distance is, whether it's marathon or 100K, 100 mile, the first half is easy. 
you know, you, you want to do this race for ages. You've got fresh legs. There's a crowd of runners around. You're off racing, and it, it's pretty easy. It's the second half where you really – your motivation gets questioned a lot, and, and a lot of questions get asked of you. So how do we respond to those questions? Those questions, of course, are – can you keep running at this pace? I want to walk. Can we please walk? I want to slow down. Can we please slow down? Why did I decide this race was a good thing? I'm not a good, why did I decide ultraling was a good thing? This is a stupid idea. I'm never doing this race again. I just want this to be over. That's what goes on in all, we've all had that experience. We all have had those thoughts in our head. So Ben, how do you address those thoughts in the back half of a race to help you get the best out of yourself? So that's where it's important to really know, as you say, know why are you doing that? And that's something to have really expect. I, I think a lot of sort of it comes down to what do you do uh, before the race sort of to prepare for that? Because that's part of the preparation. Those questions yeah. are going to happen. They're going to come to everyone. So you can have your answers prepared for why am I doing this? Why should I push harder? And that's going to be Just a little interrupt bit. interrupt a second, Ben. I think... I think it's really, really important to address beforehand. Don't assume that just because you trained really well, you're going to get through the ultra and not have that question about why did I think this is a good idea? Because you're going to have that question. At some stage, you're going to go, I thought I was well trained for this. My legs are killing me. Like, ah, oh, damn it. It's going to happen. So prepare beforehand. Sorry, Ben. Yeah. And so that answer is going to be a little bit different for everyone. So it's hard to give a generalized answer that for some people... A common one for ultra runners is you're there to challenge yourself. And so when it starts getting hard, that's the point. If it wasn't hard, you wouldn't be challenging yourself. And so that can really help you sort of lean into those feelings that it's good. This is this is what I'm here for. Here for this what? is what we came for. Let's do this. Sometimes it's an external thing. So this is, you know, you touched on things like family and stuff like that, or, you know, wider community and that, that you're, a lot of people will fundraise, make raise money for charity. That's a good, great motivator. Or it is just being a role model for your kids, for other people, um, inspiring a wider community. That can be, you know, it's where something like social media can be. It can be, it can really play with people's heads, but it can be a great motivator that yeah. you can really inspire and connect with a lot of people through something like that. Um, yeah, that it's going to vary a lot. And it might be competitive. It might be, I'm here to win it. So I'm just going to keep burying myself. And it's why you see in stuff like UTMB, you see a lot of elites drop out and they cop a lot of slack for why, why are they all DNFing? Why aren't they slogging it in and walking it into the finish? Because that's not what they're there to do. That's not their motivation. They know they can complete yep. the distance. They're there to win or podium or top 10 or whatever. They're there with very specific performance goals. And that is their motivation. And Take that away. why would they sacrifice their body and the extra recovery time if they know that's not going to happen anymore? There's nothing wrong with sometimes having no. very defined, for, for, you know, if it's the first time for a new distance for most people or even for, even for experienced people, it can just be to, okay, finish it all, well, all costs, quote unquote, that, you know, yeah. that you probably don't want to risk permanent damage. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That can be a very valid. And so you then just, well, why do you keep going? Because I'm going to finish. That was my motivator. That would be the same for a lot of Why am I going to keep pushing hard? It's because, hey, I have this time. I have this place Mm. that that's what I'm driving for. And if I, if, you know, my body gives out and that I can't perform at that, that's okay. I'd rather DNF than, you know, than um, give anything less than 100%. Well, give anything less than this sort of level. And maybe I wasn't up to that on the day, 
for various reasons that I'll dissect later and figure out and try to get right next time. But that's my motivator. So See, then- I'd, I'd say for the most part, though, other people in UTMB, they've had, it's, they know they can finish it because they've had to qualify. So everyone's had to do a number of qualifying races to get into it. And, I, and I'd say a similar mental strategy goes with, or, or, or default comes with that with they've had an expectation and they haven't met that expectation. So they pulled the pin rather than haul ass and come in just beating the, the and, and I think yeah. there's a massive spectrum of people who aren't just the people the one person that's going to win it but have got a, the same sort of thing why did they dnf because they weren't going to go under 30 hours they weren't going to go under 35, 35 hours yeah. they weren't going to yeah. go under same, 40 same hours. thing it's yeah. exactly the same thing not just because they're coming first but it's like you know what no i know i can finish i could walk and spend another seven hours doing the last 50k but i'm going to stop and it's it's that kind of thing isn't it where Again, is that the same? Yeah, what are, what's the rights and wrongs of doing that? It's up to you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it's why it's worth before any race having a list of these are valid reasons for me to DNF. These are not valid reasons for me mm-hmm. to DNF. So it might be permanent bodily damage. That's the <laughs> only reason for DNFing. Otherwise, I'm walking it into the finish. For yeah. others, it is going to be I'm finishing under this time or bust. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. If you've yeah. made that rational decision beforehand, you've made that decision. In the heat of the moment, it can be really hard because, of course, you're not going to be thinking rationally. That's you're, the difference. You're yeah. extremely exhausted. You're going to be really emotionally invested. But if you can go back and, you know, and if, you're, if you have a crew at that race, if they can remind you of these things as well, it's like, well, hang on. You said this. You told us to remind you of this because... No matter what, get yeah, out. <laughs> I know you're crying in the cot right now, but... <laughs> Twenty-four hours ago, you said this. Yeah, I think that's really important, Ben, to define it beforehand because, as you said, you, you can't think straight in the heat of battle. You're just not thinking well when you're that tired. And I think also, if you do DNF, what it means is post-race, you're not questioning your decision during the race. You're questioning your decision before the race when you were clear, calm, lucid, and had all the facts to hand as far as your training goes. So there's much less doubt as to whether that was a good decision or not. Whereas if you don't think about, okay, these are the reasons we're going to DNF before the race and you do DNF, then there's all this like, well, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done that. There's a whole lot of uncertainty about your decision to DNF. Whereas if you think about it beforehand, then I think it's a much better experience. And I also think that if you do make the effort to think about your DNF reasons beforehand, you are less likely to DNF during the race. I think there's a strong correlation between that. Mm. And it also will, in thinking about those reasons, it forces you to think of what can go wrong in a race. But part of that process is then you think about, well, how would I address these issues? Because then you have to rationalize, well, would I be, would I DNF because I'm getting thirsty? No, I could just drink more water. Okay. That's not a valid reason. I can address that problem. (laughs) Would I DNF because I, my feet are hurting? Uh, well, no, I should probably try changing my socks or my shoes or whatever first, at least, and then see if I can keep walking. Oh, okay. That's not a valid rate. Would chafing be, you know, et cetera. You work yeah. through all these sort of different problems that might arise during. And I think the research on DNFs has shown that those people who can problem solve in races have a far, far greater chance of finishing than those people who disassociate from problems and try to avoid stress and aren't good at problem solving. So the better you are at problem solving, the more likely you are to finish. And I think when it comes to ultras, particularly 100 milers, like it's less about your racing history and more about your ability to problem solve throughout your whole life. I mean, when I did my first 100 miler, I'd never done an ultra in my life, but obviously I had 10 years of Ironman and I'd, 
I trekked through mountain ranges throughout the world with no guides, unsupported, carrying all my stuff. So you get used to problem solving. You get used to the fact that you've got to get, like when you go on a four-day trek in the Peruvian mountains, there's no, I had no phone. There's no one coming to pick me up if I get into problems. It's like I need to get my way to the end to get back to civilization. So you get used to putting yourself into those situations and get used to problem solving. And people who come from that problem-solving background, typically when it comes to an ultra, they're faced with a challenge. And instead of thinking, oh, God, my race is over, think, right, this is a problem. I need to work out how to sort this problem out so I can finish. I think that's something, some reasons why some people just naturally are good at ultras because through their previous life, not running, they've got used to problem-solving. And if you're not used to solving problems on the go in extreme environments, then you're going to struggle. So I think it's a really important thing to keep in mind is defining those reasons why you have problems, potentially problems before a race and coming up with solutions. So when it gets to the race, you've already thought about all the conceivable things that could happen and pretty much got solutions for them already. And sometimes you may not know and you may have to talk to others or your coach or whatever to think, oh, what happens if my stomach goes south? Like, what do I do? Obviously, there's various strategies you can employ to help salvage your stomach. But there's usually for almost every problem that comes up, there's a solution for that that you can employ that should get you to the finish. Then the question is, will it get me to the finish in my goal time and does it matter? And that's obviously something you can decide beforehand. If your goal was 15 hours and now on track for 18 hours, do you pull the pin or is finishing 18 hours okay? But I think that's something that you need to think about why finishing in a certain time makes a difference because yeah you know in uta we sit all the time you know people set a goal of 14 hours to get a buckle or 12 hours or whatever it is and if they're on track for 14 and all of a sudden things happen and now on track for 14 hours and 15 minutes it can change your whole perspective of the race now just because you're running a bit slower doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad race. There could be other external factors like the weather and the trial conditions and the crowds and all kinds of reasons why 15 minutes slower might still be a fantastic race for you. But if you're really fixated on a time and that starts to go out the window, it can really sabotage your mental mindset for the last half of the race. And I think that although time can be a really strong motivator, as we talked about with Strava segments in training, it can also be a really negative thing. So Simon, how do you kind of battle aiming for a time and then maybe not achieving that versus keeping going or DNFing or you know, what yeah, because I think in this conversation about what it is, I mean, I'm kind of talking about what mental toughness and, and what it is that makes you able to do it in an ultra. And I think to just discuss time, it means that it is very much about that. And a lot of times when you're entering these, or you know we, the people who listen to this sort of podcast, the, the people who are within this community who do this, they're naturally mentally tough anyhow. The fact that they've got their, they've probably done qualification races to get to certain elements of things, unless you're starting. But for the majority of people, we've got very experienced people who have been doing this for years and it is about mental toughness. It's something that they already possess and it's something that they want to be able to challenge. And so if we put the times and, and positions and all that aside, for the majority of people who are doing events like this it's finding a new course or finding a course that's got different terrain and things like you said the weather the heat the altitude what the coldness the snow whatever it is can change the day and it's having those things thrown at you that people are often entering these things for to see who they are to see what when when 
when what are you made of when it, when everything gets stripped away when you when you're not just physically tired but you're mentally tired you sleep deprived I, what are you like as a person when you run into the checkpoint are you still nice to people are you still polite to your crew are, are, are you are you an asshole when you go in do you know what i yeah. mean and, and it comes to like and sometimes it's nice to know that when you get stripped down and you roar and you're on the verge of tears that actually you can look at have some perspective about what life is and it's our fight club in the sense that yeah. I don't want to get punched in the face all the time, but I do want to see what, how I can take myself out of my comfort zone and not just comfort zone in a, in a, in a whatever way, but genuinely put myself to, 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 uh, till I'm absolutely drained of everything. Can I still keep going? I'm, I'm, you know, am I tough is one thing, but am I still, a nice person and can I still treat people with respect when I go into there and yeah. you see the crew and you can still high five and you can still raise a smile and you can still see the joy and the privilege in what you're doing instead of being like an an overtired infant who's crying and sitting really being a moaning bitching complaining <laughs> because some people do and, and, it, and they go on about the brutality of this thing and stuff like that at the end of the day it's not actually war <laughs> you can leave this if you want to you can dnf you can step out so i don't i don't think we should always overstate what it what it's the seriousness of it because it should be for fun and should be joy but we do put ourselves purposely into these situations to see what we're like when we're stripped back and and then i think that the ways that you can motivate yourselves to do those things is to remember that there are other situations around the world which are genuinely war there are genuinely no. bad things and you are just doing this because you kind of you're doing it for fun and like ben said before you signed up for this and this is the exact reason in fact sometimes that's the that's the if it's gone too simply and too easy sometimes you look back at it and it wasn't the best it was like yeah i did it but it's or you'll just go sign up for something longer yeah, exactly. or harder, or whatever, because it was exactly. like, oh, well, that wasn't that didn't give me what yeah. I wanted. Exactly, that didn't and give it, me my fix. You're looking for something that takes you to that place that you can test yourself, and if you don't get it completely, you you and, and you do. It's it's. I mean, if you, I always, say, if you really want a challenge, don't train. <laughs> but but we but we don't want that much of a challenge. I think I think that because that's stupid. You want to train and you want to be able to see at what level you are, so you can get to that point. And then see where you are, um, and 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 I, and I think that's the, the motivation for me is that that I'm here for this reason, and I'm here to test that, and I can't do that in training because I can't run this long in training, and I can't have this much environment in my training yeah. or altitude or this much support from crews and things like that. It's it's the total joy and privilege of having the opportunity to take part in an adventure, on the on the most part. And, and I think everything you just touched on there, really like focusing very much on the process and the moment and that that's all very good for particularly beforehand going through those processes that really helps deal with nerves and expectations. Because if you're focusing on that process of challenging yourself, of trying to make the best of the situation you're in, that's a lot. Well, there's still an element of nerves and that you've oh, accepting God. that there's going to be a lot of pain and that but it's scary um, still yeah it's you're not going to it's not the same as when you're worrying about oh will i run this specific time and then it's suddenly 10 degrees hotter on the day and suddenly that yeah. time is so much harder than it would have otherwise yeah. been all these things that can go wrong it's like but if you're focusing on executing the best race possible given the situation you're That's... in and being the best person possible given the situation you're in 
well, that can be a lot less intimidating because now you just got to back yourself to sort of do your best. That's all you got to do. It's yes. whether it's going well, whether it's going poorly, whether you're excellently prepared, whether you're not as prepared as you would have liked to be. Doesn't matter. You're still then just going through pretty much the exact same process of making the best of the situation you're in. Yeah. We know that process goals lead to better outcomes than outcome goals. Like that's well established in the research in terms of achieving a goal. I think too often we might think about the outcome goals and that's when we get nervous. Like, can I run sub 14? Can I run sub 20? Or whatever it is. But as you said, Ben, if we could just focus on those process goals, then normally that will lead to better outcome goals in the long run anyway. So I think knowing what those process goals are is hugely important when you're going into an ultra, knowing the process goals can be things from getting your pacing right, getting your nutrition right, getting your hydration right, thinking about your running form. But I think where, where we can usually improve quite a lot more is the process goals that's going on in our brains. What do we need to be thinking about the 70K mark, 80K mark of 100K race? What thoughts do we need to have going on in our heads that's going to help us achieve the best result possible. Hmm. And I think if you leave that to race day and you've never really tapped into that in your training, you sm- as it's like rocking up physically to a race having not physically trained. We would never do that. So why do we think that we're going to run optimally if we rock up to a race not mentally trained? So I think the take-home from a lot of the stuff we talked about today is you need to practice all this stuff in training before you get to a race. So when you get to 80K mark of a race, you've got mental strategies that you know worked in training that you can fall back on and help you get through, help you run a lot more than walk. One thing I thought about before when you were talking, Ben, is I want to delve into like the elite mindset for a second. And just like we know for for a race like UTA, you go into that race knowing that on a good day, you have the ability to win. You haven't won yet, but no, that'll come. That'll come. But um, in races where you you play second or third or fifth or whatever, and you've realized at some point that winning is probably out of the question, like you're probably too far back. Do you accept that you aren't going to win and now pushing for second? Or what's the process that goes on late in the, in the race where winning is probably not happening anymore? How do you keep pushing hard and digging deep to, to get to the finish line as fast as you can? Yeah, I mean, often I you know how much can happen in a race. So if you know you are put, just putting yourself in contention, you, you don't like, you know, this year I was in the lead at UTA and I ended up DNFing because I had an injury, but the people behind me didn't know that was about to happen. Yeah. And yeah. you don't know if the person in front of you is going to have. So I always, I think of, um, yeah, so you, you use UTA as the example, and there are two real mental um experiences that i've had and so the first one was 2014 i remember i'd mentally prepared i'm going to get to queen vic so 80k mark feeling good and then see what happens that was my mentality going in i got to queen vic feeling good and saw what happens but i hadn't mentally prepared for that final stretch yeah and so i just fell apart i i got down you know you then got a long descent so you can do that when you but then the climb up was not pretty at all. But with like 5K to go, someone suddenly caught me and I just suddenly, something clicked in my brain. I didn't, I didn't like really, you know, wasn't conscious. It was just suddenly like, oh, I'm not going to let him pass me. And suddenly, boom, could run well again. And you're just like, wow, okay. Like, that was not physical. That was purely mental. And yeah. so trying to remember, trying to get into that mindset of, 
life and death is a bit of an extreme sort of thing. But that's sort of like just trying to tap into remember that you've got such reserves, even when you feel pretty horrible. And so much of that is so trying to really mentally prepare to I'm going to like grind it out up that final climb. I'm going to really nail it at the end. Um, so that's a big one sort of coming in, being ready to sort of really just push hard up. Yeah. At UTA for me, it's about trying to really nail that final climb up from Jamison. That's something I'm really focusing on that I'm setting it up that I can really run that strong. And so taking that mentality in, I think of, um, 2016, 2016, where I was in third at Jamison Creek and coming up and it seemed like I was just holding and, you know, it's like, great, I'm on the podium. So I'm just going to, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, because you don't want to get caught and drop off the podium. And then it was at the bottom of Ferber where you've got a thousand steps to go that suddenly got told, hey, Yun's one minute ahead of you. And you're like, okay. So I've got a thousand stairs. I've got to make up one minute if I want to move up into second. And, you know, Yun's won Hong Kong 100, so he knows how to go upstairs. But you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to regret this if I don't give it everything. So you're then just absolutely emptying the tank and fortunately did catch him and pass him and put a few minutes in because I think it sort of broke him a bit once he got <laughs> past. Um, but yeah, and again, that was another experience. Like, okay, man, it's amazing how much you actually have left to the tank when you suddenly have that sort of motivator. Uh, motivation to do And so, so, yeah, 2018, when I was then in second at about halfway and was then just, const- yeah, the gap between... Um, yeah, first it was just staying at seven minutes, seven minutes, seven minutes every time I was being told. But you know that you can never trust the times you're being told out no. there. So you'd always just tell them like, well, it could be wrong. Like it could be much less than that. And, you know, and I know that also it was, you know, Brendan Davies and I know that it's like, okay, well, I know I can do fur, but like that's more of my strength. He's much faster on the sort of road, the more flatter yeah. bits. But I knew that the final kilometer was played to my strength so i was like if i can be anywhere near him at the bottom of the Thurber, and so that's just then my motivator there just to keep going get to bottom of Thurber. so you've got to keep put keep yourself in contention keeping yourself contention keep yourself in contention keep yourself in contention and it ended up being exactly that seven minute fin- difference at the end <laughs> I, I think oh, i made oh, he extend, extended it to the bottom <laughs> yeah he had a bigger game it was like nine minutes at the bottom of Ferber and I made yeah, a couple yeah, of minutes going up there but it was still ultimately like that was what just kept going so you are this kind of you've got to be in that sense of very optimistic and as much as like obviously i want someone like Brent, i want brenda the best race possible I want him to have a fantastic day <laughs> and I want to have an even better day. Like it's not that I want yeah. something to go wrong for him, but it's just that, yeah. well, you know how easy yeah, it is cool. for something to yeah. even doesn't have to go horribly wrong, but just to drop off the pace a little bit. And it's just always to telling yourself, well, if I'm hurting, so are they that, yeah. you know, we've all just got two feet and a heartbeat. So why can't I catch them? <laughs> so I think the take home there is like, you, you never gave up the thought Don't of winning. That was always like, Something could happen. I, I got to keep. I got to keep myself in the game. So if something does go wrong, I am there to still take take first place. So and I think the take home for those who aren't competing for a podium is whatever your goal is, don't write yourself off. Like keep yourself in contention. Now, for some people that might be a time, and we talk a little bit about why that might might not be the best strategy or the best goal to have. I know for me personally, it's. The goal is to try and run the best pace, best race I can possibly run, given whatever happens on the day and given the training that I've had. So I'm always thinking, okay, it's 20K to go. My legs are really tired. I feel like walking. 
But if I walk, does that fit the definition of having the best race I could possibly have? Sometimes the answer is yes, because of the training that I haven't done. Sometimes the answer is no, don't be soft, just keep running. You've, you've done the training for this. If you walk now, you're going to regret it. So it's the having that belief, instead of having a belief that I can still win, it's having the belief I can still execute the race as best as I possibly can. That works for me. So I'm all about yourself, like in GNW and stuff, how have you managed to keep pushing hard towards the end? What's been your go-to mental strategies that's allowed you to keep pushing hard and finish so strongly in some of those races? I, I think it breaking things down I think because it is at, for the most part, it's about conserving and conserving for the first part. And then I think knowing once you've got to a certain point, it's like, well, I've got enough. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back now. So then it's, and that's when it gets tough because it's easy then to think, well, now I've got legitimate reason to go slowly if I want to, or to walk this section. And I think um, having visual goals, I'm going to run to that tree. I'm going to run to that yeah. section. I'm going to run to the, they're, they're simple ways that just get you okay. Because again, like getting out of the door, once you get moving and you get that tree, well, actually I can, I can maybe just go to that next bit. And it's and not thinking I'm going to run for the next five Ks, but just breaking it into smaller sections. Um, reassessing time goals, things not just always that things have gone bad, but sometimes things have gone better. Yeah. I've, some, I, I think Northburn, I was going to be happy going under 30 hours. When I got within 5Ks and it was I was on 24 hours, I thought under 25 hours. It's going to be five hours faster than I thought it was going to be. And it was, it was just picking off people and I was catching people for the previous yeah, 60k so but, mini but, races. But, but at that last bit i knew that i'd gone from being 15th to top 10 eight nine five and i was going to finish it having friends um gnw having friends texting and saying this person's only this far in front of you i had a whole whatsapp group of my local running club saying they were watching the dots and yeah. they could see as i was closing in on people and they were telling me and that motivation was huge to think that you knew there was somebody not too far away um and again just adjusting times um oh, what else? i was going to say something else before gsr you had the same thing you had people texting you telling you gsr particular yeah. it was i mean and i'd had in the middle of that i just had a, a mental low where i just kind of gone to sleep and i was zombie walking i wasn't particularly tired i just lost interest and i remember a few guys catching me up and this has happened in a couple of races where people have caught me up thinking, right, that's going to break his heart. And actually, because I'm a nonstop chatting person, I'm like, oh, great, somebody here. And it actually wakes me up and it breaks their heart more because I'm not as tired as I look. And then I start, and then I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've got away from people. I remember putting two hours into a couple of people who caught me and by the end, leaving them. And it's, it is having that, it's kind of sometimes that mental, um, I think doing... The Kokoda Challenge as a team, I remember running with Kieran O'Brien and Kieran had ran quite a few times and me and him were 100 milers and the other two were 100 Ks and we won it. But it was that thing of going through the day and Kieran just used to, in training, was always going, making the difference. It's making the difference. And the, we could walk, but just if we ran to that bit there, it was making the difference. And he just kept saying this phrase all the time and it stuck with me. And it is at times you think that, yeah, just this little bit here, all these little bits do add up. And I think with ultras, it's that the extra minute or the extra two minutes that you spend not doing that. If you do that 15 times, 30 times over a day, that's hours of difference of time. So all those little things do add up. And although you can think, oh, it's just a little bit, 
you've got it's hard to think straight when you're in these particular situations yeah but it does it definitely it does make the difference it's funny that you mentioned carried a challenge because that was my first 100k um that i completed (laughs) and it was and i and i was the strongest member of that that team i'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying saying that but it was my first one and so i sort of had the role for a particularly in the second half, it was my job to make the call to sort of be reading everyone and make the call. We're going to walk to this part. We're going to run the, which parts we're going to walk, which parts we're going to run. And so, and, you know, obviously, so you're trying to make sure the whole team's okay. And other people could, the other team members could veto that as well. They were allowed to go, no. And then you might adjust, okay, they're feeling tired. We might adjust that down, but it was sort of up to me to sort of be making those calls. And there's still something now on solo runs that you sort of, are still doing with particularly like oh when should i walk when should i run and stuff like that it's like okay that landmark there mm-hmm. this was then you know in this race it was explicitly you would have to vocalize this to someone else go <laughs> we're going to yeah. walk to that tree and then we're going to start running but you see that rock where it then starts to steepen up we're going to walk again there so we're going to run that 50 meters stretch or whatever the rest of what and you're still doing that sort of really segmenting um yeah particularly long climbs and stuff like that breaking it up like that and sort of going through those sort of processes and that where you are just mentally scanning the train and things like that it's, so it's worth saying this up it's worth saying that to anyone who doesn't know the kokoda challenge specifically is a race that you compete as a four and you must finish as a four so you have to stay together within a certain distance because it's the spirit of kokoda if people don't realize that and uh it, it, like you say that verbalization of things where you're looking out for each other and the team that I was invited to join, Dave Coombs and, and Brad Glover and Kieran, it was such a lovely team of people who were very considerate of each other, constantly looking out for each other and actually saying the things that you often have to keep to yourself all of the time when, you, when you're running these sorts of distances. And I'd never ran 100 kicks. I'd only ever done 100 miles. So for me, it was an entirely different. It, it's, it's strange to... It seems bizarre to say a step down to 100Ks, but it is an entirely different sort of uh, event, nutrition and speed and pace and stuff like that. But yeah, verbalizing those those goals to each other was was really interesting. It's, it's nice to it, it's, it's nice to have to have stay together. It was it was very it's an interesting race. Yeah, and it's funny how you, you've done it with Dave Coombs as well. I've done it with him twice, and he was out. He's he such was a lovely sort of bloke. Dave. He was usually <laughs> the one making those calls when yeah. I did it with him. Dave's I think the take home from there, I mean. The problem you have when you're doing a walk run now, whether whether you're someone who can run all the flats and hike all the hills, or you're someone who needs to kind of walk some of the flats towards the end of the ultra, it doesn't really make a difference. But the trick is to define your walking period whilst you're still running. Because what will happen if you don't is you're running up for a while and you go, okay, I need to walk at that that tree. I'll run to that tree that I'll start walking. So you run to the tree, you start walking, and then you start walking for a bit and a bit and a bit. And eventually you say, okay, well, I'll start running it wherever. Whereas a better strategy is to say, I'm going to run to that tree, then I'm going to walk for one minute, then I'm going to start running again. And the reason, that might sound like I'm just nitpicking, but the <laughs> no, reason... No, no, define your walking time, not your running time. That's quite yeah, a good idea. Yeah, yeah like... the reason it's important is because it, it gives you the illusion of control. It means you're in control of your body. You're telling your legs when you're going to walk. Mm-hmm. Instead of if you run and then start walking, the race is kind of telling you, it's like your legs are gone, I'm too tired to run, I'm too sore, I can't run anymore, I'm going to walk for a bit. And you've kind of resigned yourself to the fact that it's tough. I, I'm pretty much done. I'm just trying to salvage whatever I can out of the last 20K. So it's just mentally really negative. But if you're in control, yeah. then it's a different, different case altogether. Just, when I did yeah, a Big idea. Red Run 
I went into Big Red Run quite underprepared. Like my long run was only 28K or something and I wasn't doing much more than 60K a week. But I had a really good race strategy and it got me to the last day within kind of like 10 minutes of the, the leader. And it was an 84 kilometre stage. So I knew that maybe maybe I can just like, I don't know, we'll see how we go. But anyway, like kind of long story short, he got ahead of me. But what I want to talk about is the last 20K of that race, even though I'd been undertrained, even though I knew I, the longest one was only 27, I kept breaking down the run-walk strategy. So I was always in control. It went from 10 minutes run, two minutes walk, to the last kilometre, there was red marking tapes. So I'd run 10 marking tapes and walk 10 marking tapes. But that was defined beforehand. That wasn't run 10 marking tapes, walk for a while. Oh, I suppose you should run again. It just makes a massive difference mentally when you feel yeah. like you're in control of what you're doing, That's even though obviously you, you're walking some. Also, so I it's never a good seat. strategy to say, I'll walk until I feel good because you're, <laughs> you're yeah, not you trying won't. to feel good. No, definitely oh, not. God. <laughs> all right um, i think we've covered a fair bit any any parting kind of tips for mental training you guys have got that we haven't covered i think a few things we'd sort of t- um race still in tight on race day is um we've touched particularly on the second half but i think it is still worth touching yes. on the first half and pre-race particularly like how to stay calm at the start not get caught inevitably there's going to be a few people just gunning it from the start line how do you how well there might be times where you think it's appropriate to stick with that but if in many cases it's not so how do you keep the ego in check early on mm. and how do you not get overwhelmed by the fact that you've got a really really long way to go so what sort of yeah strategies there do you guys use i think for me it's just trying to relax as much as possible in in the first particularly at the start but what i like to do at the start of a race is find my own space so like gnw for example when i started the race it starts on a road so you get a bit, bit of room to move i just moved away from a pack of runners so i could find my own groove at yarrabilla in south australia i did the same thing i just kind of i stepped aside from the pack i let a pack of runners go ahead of me so i could just find what my pace was rather than be sucked up and then check my watch 10k later and go oh hell i've been running 20 watts higher than what i should have been running so i think giving yourself space to find your pace is, is particularly important letting the ego go like at yarrabilla for example I let that pack of runners go ahead of me. And I looked at that runners, that group as they ran past me. And I knew like half of those runners should be behind me. So then the ego has to go, should I be ahead of them or should they be behind me? Now, I made the decision that they should be behind me. So therefore, I'm running the right pace. They're not running the right pace. But if you question yourself and you're going, I should be running faster, they're ahead of me, like, I'm faster than them. Why, why aren't I ahead of them? But you've got to keep reminding yourself it's a long race. The, the race isn't won in the first 20K. For me personally, what cemented that and made it very, very easy to do is my experience in UTMB when I was really conservative at the start and passed 700 people in the last 80K. Ever since that race, I've had no issues whatsoever at running very conservatively and letting people pass me. But if you've never had that experience before and you've always gone out a little bit too fast and struggled, then it can be a little bit more difficult. But I think you've just got to be confident in your ability. Remind yourself that there's a long way to go. Remind yourself that if you're at all pushing the pace, if you're at all thinking the pace is too fast, you need to slow down. You need to be able to run with your brain virtually just relaxed and chilled out or the pace is too fast. And that's that's what helps me. Simon, what's helped you kind of keep it easier to start with? 
chatting to people. <laughs> chatting to people, yeah, of course. Tom, I could talk the, the colleague off a chair. <laughs> I could, I could run. I was faster if I saved my energy from talking. I just, I'll, 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 the only time that doesn't happen is if it's a dark start because nobody wants to talk then. But once it gets light, <laughs> I, I often, I do, I, I have a laugh. I really do. I just take, I don't take it too seriously. It keeps it relaxed. I try not to take it seriously. Uh, I think the one, the times that I have, that's when it, it hasn't gone as well. But knowing that, I must admit, when you said before, you know those people. For me, I can't pick. I, yeah, the, the, I find it difficult to pick who's a good runner and who's not a runner because it can work either way. I think the ones that look like nothing are guns. And the, one, the ones that look like they should be, you know, they've got all the gear and no idea is the stage. You know? so, so it's one of those things where it's difficult. I think it's hard to pick a runner sometimes. And I think you have got to just be on your own and know what you're doing yourself. Um, and every, if, you, if you're if entered a 100 mile or 100K, everyone can run 50K. So that means that yeah. there's, no, there's no real indication as to whether they're running fast or slow or whatever, because everyone can run 50K. So you could go to 40, 50 and everyone's going well. It's when it gets to 60 or 70 or when it gets to 110, 120, that it all goes tits up for them. And they realize that, oh, it's all gone wrong. It's like, that's when you need to know that you can pace it. And having that confidence to be able to decrease less than everybody else, as we've said, it's not that you're getting faster. Um, It does take patience and judgment. um, Yeah. Or genuine fear. I think the ones that I've feared the most are the <laughs> ones that I've gone out the slowest. And so GNW used to scare me a lot. And, and, and then I, after doing it four times, I felt like I knew what I was doing. And then I knew how to pace it. But other things, JCR or Northburn, stuff like that, scared the living hell out of me before I did it. And, and I went out very, very conservatively and just got stronger and enjoyed it and got stronger and stronger and pulled just real once, once you've had races like that you kind of want that oh, feeling all the time so it's it just it feels fantastic but then sometimes you get a bit of confidence from doing that and then the next <laughs> the next race you think well maybe if i just went a bit faster and then and then it doesn't go quite as well so and, and unfortunately as we've said at other podcasts where it's not like a park run or a 10k where you can correct that mistake next week or the week after no, sometimes the learning the learning curve is quite learning curve is quite a slow curve because you've got to wait such a long time to correct it or to experiment with going a bit faster and it going wrong when you've put so much effort into it it's quite it's yeah, quite it's disappointing tough. isn't it it's hard. ben you're particularly good at pacing and i know you know with someone with your ability it would be easy to go out to the very front of the pack from the very start of the race but your performances in in the utas for example that you've done really well at you're almost never in the top 10 to start with so how do you manage to kind of find your own pace and make sure you don't get sucked up into that. I must be in the top 10 because I'm hoping to podium top mindset. Yeah, it was funny there, Simon, because you, you're a talker. I'm not. I do all my training by myself. And so I, it's not even that I say, I'm like, get away. Oh, I train by I'm myself. Just, That's I'm why just, I'm dying to talk to people. Yeah, well, no, it's, for me, it's the opposite. I just kind of like that part of my brain just switches off that it's like, yeah. I, I, I do like to get it, as any said before, getting in your own space. That it's like, just because I'm not used to having people running around me so having being right on someone's tail i just feel uncomfortable and if someone's clipping my heels again it's like get away from me if you want to pass go pass um sort of thing and i guess it's always sort of it it, it takes it takes more confidence to go out you know conservatively than it does to gun it from the start and so that's always something i sort of try to remind you got to back yourself there's like no i'm running the right pace and 
I sort of tell myself, oh, they're going out hard. That means they're scared. And that's sort of what I'm just sort of telling myself. And also, again, that it's like, well, in theory, if I am, if theoretically I am the fittest athlete and quote unquote should win, then even if I am behind at halfway, then I'm the fittest athlete. I can make up sure. that deficit in the second half. Yeah. If I am not the fittest athlete, then I quote unquote shouldn't win. And so it's okay that I'm not in the lead at halfway <laughs> because I was never going to be able to win. They were, they're the fitter athlete. They're the better yeah. athlete on the day. They're executing the better race and there's no way you can win in that yeah. case. So it's yeah. sort of accepting there that it's like, you got to, that it's okay there if you're not the best on the day, but if you are then backing yourself that you, that the best athlete will win on the day if that makes sense that yeah definitely and so I think trusting it, it, in yourself and your ability to to pace it i think you touched on something really important there the if you're pacing according to what other people around you are doing virtually what you've said is i don't know how to pace i don't know my own ability i don't know my own fitness i'm going to trust that joe blow knows my pace better than i do and i'm going to run with him and when you put it like that, that makes no sense whatsoever. It makes, it, totally, yeah. it makes zero sense. So if, you, if you're one of those people who find it hard to run your race, just think about that. Just think, why am I running with him? Like, just because he wants to run the same time as you and you talk about that and you may think, well, he's a similar or she's a similar speed athlete to me and we're both aiming to run sub 14 or sub 20 or whatever. Just because of that, that doesn't mean they know how to pace it better than you do. It does not mean that whatsoever. Pacing is something that, few athletes get right and you've just got to see the results in, in races to know that the amount of runners who pass a lot of athletes in the last half of few most people at best will stay roughly the same so they were you know 90 to 100 at the start and they're 90 to 100 at the end or they started 100 and finished 400 most people fit into those two categories not many people fit into the started 100 finished at 10th or in ben's case started at 25th and finished in second so you're judging your pacing strategy by odds are someone who doesn't know how to pace optimally for them, let alone optimally pace it for you. So like most things, once you can think about things rationally, you realize how stupid it seems to base your pacing by running with somebody else, even if they're the same pace, you think they're the same pace and same goal time as you. So it's all about finding your own space, being confident in your own ability and being confident that you've done the training and can run that back up strongly. And ultimately, and do that, it, it'll be a better experience. Um, and and it, it can be hard if you do have a that. Well, if you have a very set time that you want to finish on, then you might have specific splits you're trying to hit, and that might be something. But in a lot of cases, we said sometimes the time isn't the best metric. And if you're not that honed in on, I need to finish at this exact time, you're going to have a better experience if you did accidentally go slightly too easy in the first half, and then you're able to pick it really pick it up in the second half. Like you can still remember that's always possible. You are, al you are allowed to negative split an ultra. Not many people do, but there's nothing in the rule book that says you're not allowed to do that. And there's also <laughs> a case of like, they've, they've done studies on, I forget what distance was, then you might be able to help me remember, but where they got people to pace the race a time trial differently and they structured it so they were hard from the start, even pacing all started easier and picked it up toward the end. And what they found, there was no difference in time except the starting easier ended up with being a lower RPE. So it felt easier, but the time was the same. So you kind of think, well, if starting a race easier ends up, you had feeling lower RPE overall, but it's no slower, 
surely that's a better way. You can have far more fun in the race and not go any slower. And then ultras, we know, I've seen the data from literally thousands of, of power data kind of from athletes and races that those athletes that start conservatively and in their power targets finish better and have better experiences than those that go too fast at the start. I see it all the time. So it's just about having that confidence that this is the right pace. And it does feel easy, but it should feel easy. I can just switch off and just enjoy the early miles and then I can dig deep and push later, later on. And if you can do that, you'll have a great race. Yeah, that was that was a six hour that was six hour track six hour, running, so, so they could was, really ultra, yeah. really uh you know control the pace because it's just yeah running around the track. So that is yeah, yeah. soft pace versus forcing a slower slower start than what they did when they were quote unquote. Yeah, I thought it was an ultra, but it was, I couldn't remember. Yeah, so and yeah, ultimately yeah, the us. performance was the same, but the finishing time was the same, but just it's different. Felt uh, yeah, it felt better. So it's like, well, if you can finish in the same time and it feels easier, that sounds pretty win-win. Sounds very good. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, anything else you guys want to add? I think we've covered a fair bit again. All good? Just All checking right. my notes. I don't think so. I think we've covered lots of things there, folks. Awesome. All right, well, thanks once again, guys. I look forward to feedback from the listeners on what they found most helpful out of today's podcast and any suggestions for future podcast topics. And we look forward to chatting with you all again soon. Catch you later, boys. Thanks so much. See you soon. Bye-bye.